0: This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia.
1: or uh, good morning to you wherever you might be. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio, and it's KOPN 89.5. Columbia, Owensville, Paris, Roachport, Fulton, Glasgow, Ashland, Ovas, Boonville, Bunston, Centertown, and lots of other points all around Mid Missouri. Okay, just about two o'clock. A little bit afterwards, two o seven. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host as always on Radio Orbit, from two a.m. to five a.m. on Sunday morning. Quick thank you to my man Tyree hanging out here tonight, taking the place of uh, uh, sitting in for Gail and also sitting in for Ernest, who sits in for Gail quite a bit. Uh, but definitely a change of pace tonight and some great, great stuff getting kicked out of the station for the last couple hours. So thanks to Tyree for handing it off nicely. Nicely done, my friend. And uh, Okay, so uh, if you haven't heard the program before, this is Radio Orbit. We talk about the strange and the mysterious and the unknown and the fantastic and the phenomenal and the incredible and uh, any other of those interesting adjectives that we like to use on this show a lot. Uh, Tonight, we've got an interesting show lined up. Should be a lot of fun. Got my... My old standby, Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com, going to be joining us in about 45 minutes. And uh, we're also going to be joined by a gentleman whose name is Scott Stevens. Scott is a, uh, a meteorologist, a weatherman out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, uh, works for one of the NBC affiliates there. I'll let him tell you more about that. Uh, but anyway, Scott is a about as close to the mainstream as we're going to get with uh, some of the things we're going to be talking tonight. But like I say, Scott is a uh, a television weatherman on the TV every night out there in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we're going to be talking about weather modification and scalar technologies and chemtrails and HARP and all kinds of things I'm imagining that we're going to get into tonight. So uh, so stick around for that. That's coming up in about 45 or 50 minutes and uh, should be... uh, quite an interesting show uh, with Scott Stevens and Kent Stedman. With that in mind, there are a couple of websites that I'd like you guys to reference. Number one, you can reference uh, the one that, uh, the most important one, the one that's uh, connected to this show, and that's www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, just one O in the middle there, radioorbit.com. Uh, from there, you can jump right over to Kent Stedman's site, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And you can also get to Scott Stevens' site from there. And Scott's site is www.weatherwars.info. That's weatherwars.info. Okay, so we got radioorbit.com. You can get to all these other sites from there. Uh, you can go to cyberspaceorbit.com or you can go to weatherwars.info. And uh, there's lots of interesting imagery up at these sites, and we'll be talking about some of these images as we get uh, as we get into the conversation tonight. Scott has lots of uh, photographs of the sky uh, that he's taken over the last few years, and uh, certainly some of those things are anomalous, to say the least, and he's going to explain to us why they're anomalous and uh, uh, why we're seeing the things that we're seeing and why we should be seeing something else. Uh, so anyway, that's what we're coming, uh, coming up with here in a few minutes, 45 minutes or so, talking to Kent Stedman and uh, Scott uh, Stevens, uh, talking to those guys about weather manipulation, okay? All right, before that, um, we will uh, do what we normally do. We'll do a little bit of space weather, play some fun music, talk about some interesting stories, and uh, uh, get you guys' opinion on whatever else, uh, whatever else might be going on. With that in mind, uh, let's take care of the... Uh, the essentials, uh, real quick here, and get them out of the way. My email address uh, for anybody that has a question during the program, you can always shoot me an email, and I'll uh, I'll um, I'll be watching that live as we go, and I can I can uh, I can pose those questions to Kent and to Scott as we're on the phone with them a little bit later. So send me an email if you'd like. That's Orbit Radio, O R B I T R A D I O, Orbit radio at aol.com. You can also give me a call here at the station. Uh, Inside the studio here, you can call me at 573-874-5676. If you're outside of the 573 area code, you can call me at 1-800-895-5676. And... um, uh, for the first hour here, when I go to music, when I put some music on, if you guys are interested in calling, call me on that uh, one of those two numbers, uh, 874-5676, that's the 573 area code. And uh, the other one is 1-800-895-5676. And uh, just let me know what's on your mind. I've also got a couple things to give away a little bit later. going to be giving away a uh, CD-ROM uh, with the uh, entire historical archives of cyberspaceorbit.com, a literal library of Alexandria of information, eight or nine years of uh, investigations and research that Kent and uh, associates have done, and uh, just some absolutely fantastic stuff in there, and uh, you can uh, you can actually, um, well, you can't actually hear about it because uh, I've got the emails here sitting in my email box, but uh, trust me, I've given away a few of these over the last few weeks, and I've already gotten two or three emails back that say, oh my God, I couldn't believe what uh, what happened when I put that CD-ROM in my computer, and uh, yeah, uh, from the get-go, it's a real, uh, uh, just a just a barn buster uh, of information. So anybody uh, interested in that, a little bit later we'll be giving away one of those, the CD-ROM archive of cyberspaceorbit.com, and I might just throw in a Fate Magazine t-shirt or something like that. I've got a few of those laying around still from my friend Phyllis Galdi from Fate Magazine, who we'll be talking to again uh, sometime uh, in the next year. We'll probably have her on the air sometime early next year. And... uh Let's see, speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about some upcoming guests before we get into the heart of the matter here. Uh, let me say, real fast, thanks for the emails. I always appreciate the emails that you guys send me. And uh, whether they're complimentary or derogatory, I don't mind either way. I'm interested in your opinions and uh, what you all think about this program and what you all think about the things that we're talking about on this program. Uh, Last week uh, generated some pretty interesting comments, actually, and uh, it was designed to. uh, We had a gentleman on the air last week. His name was William Lyon. William Lyon, and we were talking about uh, anti-gravity technology and Tesla, Nikola Tesla and some of the... uh, inventions and uh, discoveries that he made in the early 1900s, and we were talking about UFOs and all kinds of stuff, but uh, um, William Lyon is the first in a number of guests uh, who'll be uh, uh, coming on Radio Orbit over the next month and a half or so, and we will slowly but surely escalate the credibility of those uh, of those reports that are going to be coming here on the air. I, I wanted to start with William Lyne, even though I appreciate the information that William is putting out there, and much of what, uh, what William is putting out there is valid, in my opinion, um, although he may be a little bit uh, uh, a little bit further out on the fringe uh, than some. Certainly some of the information that William Lyne um, shared with us last week is valid. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette Now, Dr. Paul LaViolette is, uh, as far as credentials go... um the next step up on the ladder from a guy like William Lyne. William Lyne has done quite a bit of research on his own and everything, but he doesn't quite have the uh, uh, the letters at the end of his name and those sorts of things to become legitimized in this particular culture and society of ours, which uh, which looks at those sort of things first. Um, but Dr. Paul LaViolette does. Uh, He's a Johns Hopkins-educated Ph.D. astrophysicist. Uh, he has uh, been published in numerous Uh, scientific journals over the course of 25 years or so. He's written a number of books, and uh, he's another guy that's going to talk very openly about some of these technologies that everybody assumes do not exist, and uh, uh, electrogravitic propulsion being one of those uh, topics that Dr. LaViolette uh, will talk about. So, Dr. LaViolette, uh, Paul Laviolette coming up in a couple of weeks, and he will add credibility and uh, legitimacy to the uh, to the subject matter that we breached uh, last week with William Line. And then um, a couple of weeks after Dr. Laviolette, in fact, maybe the following week, directly after Dr. Laviolette, we will have uh, Mr. Nick Cook on the air. And Nick Cook was the uh, 15-year aerospace editor at Jane's Defense Weekly. Jane's Defense Weekly, for those uh, in the in the biz. Uh, For all of you that know, uh, Jane's is, or for those of you that don't know, I should say, Jane's is the preeminent military technology uh, journal in the world, not in the country, in the world. Jane's Defense Weekly, uh, as far as uh, military and aerospace technology is concerned, Jane's is considered the number one on the planet. Well, Nick Cook was the aerospace editor for Jane's Defense Weekly for 12 or 15 years, and uh, he wrote a book about two years ago called The Hunt for Zero Point, and it's a fascinating book uh, which uh, gets into the inside classified world of these super unknown and uh, extravagant technologies, and uh, Nick Cook is going to... Uh, kind of close the chapter so we're going to start uh, as we did last week with William Line. we'll move up to Paul LaViolette and then we'll finish things off with Nick Cook and by then anybody that listens to those three programs I think you should be pretty convinced uh, that at least something uh, is going on out there that we don't know about in the realm of anti-gravity or zero gravity propulsion and uh, the concept uh, the actual physical concept of electrogravitics now, the classical model, the uh, conventional physics, denies the fact that uh, electricity and gravitation are related. Uh, but uh, that's, just, uh, that's just so much whistling into the wind these days because, um, the, uh, unfortunately for people, even if you're in the business, even if you're in the sciences, if you're still um, in that paradigm, well, you've been left behind. So we're not even going to worry about the people that are still living there. We're going to move on and uh, make a forward escape as... Uh, The French say. Okay, Uh, let's see. It's about 18 after. Uh, We'll get right back in a minute. We'll do space weather and uh, come back in about 40 minutes with Mr. Kent Stedman, the bard from www.cyberspaceorbit.com and also uh, our new meteorologist friend, Scott Stevens. They'll both be with us in about 45 minutes. We'll be talking about weather manipulation. Before then, everything we usually do on radio orbit uh, this is radio head high and dry back in a moment mike hagen radio orbit it's 2:15 on sunday morning the 12th of december High and dry from the Benz on KOPN Radio Orbit. This is Mike hanging out with you, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and we'll be here for another two hours and 40 minutes or so. Coming up in about 40 minutes or so, at top of the hour, we'll have my guests, Kent Stedman and Scott Stevens, uh, meteorologists from the Pacific Northwest, uh, talking about weather manipulation. Uh, so... Uh, that 's coming up in forty minutes before then let 's do space weather. Um, not a whole lot happening on the sun right now. There is sort of an uh, uh, an aurora watch going on right now we 've got a pretty gusty solar wind that 's happening even though even though the activity on the surface of the sun facing the Earth right now seems to be reasonably quiet there 's a, a pretty perky Solar wind blasting the magnetic field of the earth. So, again, uh, as we've had for the last few weeks, sky watchers up in Alaska and Canada and up in the northern latitudes, up in the high latitudes, you should see some great aurora tonight and uh, probably to- tomorrow night as well. We are, uh, oh, speaking of uh, cool things in the sky, we're right in the middle of the Geminid meteor shower. In fact, tonight. Well, it's, uh, it, when I was driving in here, it clouded up a little bit. It's about, uh, it was about 1.30 when I was driving into uh, to Columbia this morning, and uh, I didn't get to see too much in the sky. It looked like it was clouding up, but earlier around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock tonight, it was clear. And I was outside uh, doing a little sky watching of my own and uh, definitely saw, uh, saw a few rocks burning through the atmosphere. And uh, those are of course uh, meteors from the Geminid meteor shower, which is which is underway right now. It'll it'll be going on tonight, uh, tomorrow night as well. In fact, probably peaking tomorrow night. I think it'll probably be a little bit better tonight, and hopefully we have clear skies here in uh, mid-Missouri, so you guys can check that out. Uh, there'll probably be a, a bright meteor every 10 or 15 minutes or so, and in between, you can pardon me, you can see lots of uh, lots of smaller ones. Maybe uh, up to 25, 30 an hour or something like that here uh, in our uh, in our location here in the middle of the country. But anyway, the Geminid meteors are uh, going on right now. And it's a pretty sight to watch uh, those so-called uh, shooting stars up in the sky. And hopefully none of them are too big and ho- hopefully none of them come too close. And, uh, of course, there's nothing really to worry about that with the Geminids. We're pretty familiar with that particular meteor shower and uh, it's really just dust and uh, very small pebbles and things like that that we're uh, experiencing right now. But we know that that's not always the case. There are near-Earth asteroids, (NEAs) as they are called, and uh, they fly by the planet every now and again, and sometimes they get awfully close, and sometimes they are quite large. And uh, so we watch those as well. We have a close call, as a matter of fact, um, with, a, uh, with an asteroid coming up on December 24th. A little bit of a Christmas present, a little cosmic Christmas present f- uh, for us. That is uh, 2004 VW14 is the uh, is the name that that asteroid has been given, and it'll 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 come uh, w- within about five lunar distances of planet Earth, and uh, five lunar distances is about 100 uh, is about 1.25 million miles. A lunar distance is the average distance between the Earth and the Sun. And if you want to be really technical, it's the average distance between the center of the Earth and the center of the sun. Uh, I take that back to the center of the moon, of course. Uh, That's a lunar distance, and it's about 250,000 miles, give or take. So five lunar distances, 1.25 million miles. This particular asteroid is going to be coming that close, and that is actually quite close in uh, astronomical terms. A million miles is nothing, uh, just a a whisker. So um, we'll... uh, keep you up to that and uh, keep you up to date on that and talk about it if uh, anything comes up. But it's one that uh, the orbitals are pretty well known, and I doubt that it's going to come any closer than they expect it to. Uh, like I've said before, the ones, uh, the ones that we don't know about are the more interesting birds. The ones that we do know about, of course, uh, uh, not a whole lot to talk about with those because we've already determined uh, what their flight path is. So, um, What else do we have going on in the sky? Uh, Comet Machultz. Uh There is a... Um, a comet that's called Matchholz. C2004Q2 is its actual uh, actual designation, uh, but uh, uh, it's been named Matchholz. They always name these after the guys or girls that discover them. Uh, but anyway, uh, Comet Matchholz has been approaching the Earth now for a number of weeks, and it's bright enough where you can actually see it uh, with the naked eye right now. If you look in the southeastern sky, just a few hours after sunset, uh, you should be able to uh, see comet matchholz it looks like uh, it 'll be, it'll be near the uh, near the if you look uh, in the sky and see Orion, the constellation Orion, look down towards the bottom what you would consider the feet uh, of orion and down there you 'll see a uh, what looks like a star but it 'll be kind of fuzzy and uh, that is actually comet matchholz and we 're calling that the Christmas comet actually because it 's going to get uh, uh, it's going to reach uh, as close to us as it does get uh, just around Christmas time. So the Christmas Comet, Comet Machultz, cruising by. And uh, we don't get naked-eye comets that often, where you can actually see them with the naked eye. Now, if you put on a pair of field glasses or uh, pull out your uh, your little home telescope, you can actually have a pretty, uh, pretty interesting sight uh, Uh, You'll be able to magnify that comet uh, to a point where you can really see it pretty well considering the fact that it's a naked eye comet and you can actually see it without any uh, equipment um, as it stands. So that's one you might want to check out if you're into uh, sky watching, if you like looking at the stars and those sorts of things. So uh, that is about it for space weather. We've got uh, uh, one thing that was related. There have been a number of stories actually in the last week, a lot of stories I've seen about lights in the sky and UFOs and uh, and this sort of stuff, and they're always in the news. But for some reason, over the last week, it really did seem like there was more of it than uh, uh, more of it than I've seen for a while. So I'll read just one story here for you. This is from uh, uh, a story in, in Australia, uh, something that happened over in Darwin. And uh, the story starts. It says, "Flashing lights hover over Darwin." Even the skeptics are questioning the origins of a strange light that hovered over Darwin on Saturday night. Several readers phoned the Northern Territory News late on Saturday to describe the unidentified flying object that captured their attention. But neither the RAAF nor the airport were able to shed any light on the flashing green, blue, and red lights that witnesses saw. Laboratory technician Julie Lynn was relaxing on the balcony with husband Nigel at their linear home when they noticed the UFO about 8.30. A a self-described skeptic, Mrs. Lynn, believes there's a perfectly reasonable explanation. It was fascinating to watch, she said, but I have no idea what it could be. Hmm. Is that her reasonable explanation? Uh... I was quite looking forward to curling up on the couch and watching a movie, but it had our attention until we went to bed after midnight. It hovered in one place for at least two hours, but had moved significantly when we checked on it again before we went to bed. I can't believe there are UFOs or little green men out there. There must be an obvious explanation. And we weren't drinking, so it wasn't something that we imagined. The UFO was described as being shaped like three connected ball-shaped spheres that flash blue, green, and red from as many as six different light sources. It first appeared in a southeasterly direction and was moving northeast. The Department of Defense spokeswoman Kelly Cooper said the UFO was definitely not a secret military project. Uh, The airport also denied the UFO could have been a plane waiting to land. So it wasn't a plane, and it wasn't a uh, secret military aircraft. Uh, So... uh, Anyway, but uh, that actually makes me laugh. Uh, Department of Defense spokeswoman Kelly Cooper said the UFO was definitely not a secret military aircraft or RAAF related. You know, I have sort of a general rule for politics and the military and things like that. And it's basically, uh, don't believe it until they deny it three times. And uh, if I had to guess, I'll bet that Kelly Cooper has denied that that was a... uh, Uh, A secret military project At least three times And in fact Nobody even asked If it was a secret military project She just uh, Generously uh, Delivered that information So In any case These things are always funny And it does sound If you heard the show That I did last week With William Line And uh, People may think I'm nuts too But uh, I had a similar experience Right here in Columbia Not long ago uh, Looking toward uh, From my home Looking toward the The toward the northeast and uh, there I've, I've seen it a number of times uh, it's, it's it actually looks like a star and I, me- I mentioned it on the program last week when we talked with William Lyon because I was trying to figure out what it is but it looks uh, like a star um, but it flashes green and blue and red and uh, it doesn't move with the star field behind it uh, it will stay in one place for hours at a time and then it will go away and I don't know what it is uh, but it's out there and um, for those people who are interested, look, just look up in the skies. A lot of these things, man, you just look up. People just aren't looking up, and there are a lot of things that are happening over our heads uh, that we don't pay attention to, and that we don't uh, we don't perceive uh, because they're just um, they're just not on our radar screen. And that might be a um, that might be a good analogy because tonight we're going to be talking about weather manipulation, and we're going to be talking about radar and things like this, and. And things that happen over our heads that we're not familiar with. So, uh, skeptics, that's fine. You can be a skeptic. I have no problem with it. Uh, to discount something though, completely and fully out of hand, without investigating it yourself, uh, or without having a full explanation, um, that's something that I disagree with. So. Uh, so in any case, uh, lots of weird stuff going on up there in the skies, and that was just one example. There's all kinds of wild stories this week about UFOs and uh, lights in the sky in the news. So I just wanted to read that one to you because I thought it was kind of uh, kind of interesting. Okay, what else do we have to talk about here? Um, one more time, the phone number here in the studio is uh, 573-874-5676. And uh, at the top of the hour... Um, when we go to break, I'll probably give away that CD-ROM of uh, Cyberspace Orbit Archives and a Fate Magazine t-shirt. We'll do that at the beginning of the hour. And uh, so keep that phone number handy, 874-5676, area code 573, and uh, 1-800-895-5676 if you're outside of the area code. All right. uh, Let's see. What else? Uh, Here was an interesting story that I saw that I just thought I'd read. Um, and it's uh, relevant to some of the things that we talk about here on this program. I don't think it's really a, a very clear picture, but we could talk about it a little bit afterwards, maybe. Uh, it's called "Only a Dream." Can a person get revelation while asleep? Everyone dreams, but can God? But can God communicate with people through dreams? Can the dead communicate with the living? Bible passages answer the first question with a yes. Both Joseph and the patriarch, uh, both, both Joseph the patriarch and Joseph, husband of Mary had the will of God made known to them through dreams. Job 3314 16 also says that God can speak to people in dreams. If there be a prophet among you, the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. That's said in Numbers 12:6. Uh, some religions teach that God once spoke to people in dreams, uh, but doesn't any longer. There is little need nowadays to revive the laws and canons exacted in past ages against divination through dreams, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Hmm. Anyway, this could go on and on. Uh, The story uh, continues. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doesn't rule out the possibility that some dream-based revelations still exist for the faithful. Inspired inspired dreams are the fruit of the faith. They are not given to apostate peoples. Now, all of these have a... a, Everybody is putting a religious bent on this stuff uh, not and neglecting the scientific uh, uh, description of dreams, which is uh, quite quite simple and quite uh, explainable now, uh, especially in the realm of quantum, uh, quantum physics. Uh, but the, uh, the simple fact, in my opinion, is that, sure, we are communicated within dreams. Dreams are nothing more than the imagination taking flight. And what is the imagination? Well, in my opinion, the imagination isn't something that is... Uh, generated inside particularly your own head. The imagination is real and everything that you can imagine is real somewhere sometime in an infinite universe in an infinite space in an infinite time well then all things are real. All things are reality. All things are true. And uh, dreams are a tapping in to that notion, that field of non-locality, where everything exists as thought and idea and reality at the same time, and uh, that's what dreams are. And there are there are friends, and you can learn a lot from your dreams. We had a pretty interesting program on a few months ago with gentleman named John Cranshaw and uh, a woman named Kelly Naylor. They were here from the School of Metaphysics right here in Columbia. We talked about dreams and dream interpretation and got into some of this stuff. But in any case, uh, you can, um, uh, if you're not interested in sub-quantum kinetics and quantum physics, well, you can always talk about archangels and uh, that's fine too. Uh, A description is a description. uh, But the act itself is happening, and a rose by any other name uh, is still a rose. so anyway, uh we will um move on to something else. What else? One more thing. Oh gosh, you know we've been talking about over the uh over the last few weeks there was um a discovery made that uh, we were talking about. we were calling them hobbits, these little fellas that were discovered off. Uh, on an island off the coast of Fiji, um, and it was a huge anthropological and archaeological find where uh, uh, a species, a brand-new species of proto-human or human, I don't know what you want to call it, it's very hard to classify because they uh, um, physiologically really don't look that much like the modern-day human, which is, uh, if they classify it as Homo sapien uh, that would be pretty interesting, but anyway um, they, uh, they are still in the news, and lots of interesting things happen. There are people that now are saying that these people are still alive and that they still uh, they still have uh, a civilization in the in the forest there and uh, This is a story from New Zealand, and it starts off like this hobbits we 've got a cave full chief Eparatus i 'm sorry, Chief Eparatus Daulawa, has a strange tale to tell, sitting in his bamboo and wooden home at the foot of an active volcano in the remote Indonesian island of Flores. Now, Flores was the island where the uh, hobbits were first discovered. He recalls how people from his village were able to capture a tiny woman with long, pendulous breasts three weeks ago. They said she was very, very little and very pretty, he says, holding his hand at waist height. Some people saw her very close up. The villagers of Barwe believe the strange woman came down from a cave on the streaming mountain where short, hairy people they call Ibu Gogo lived long ago. Maybe some Ibu Gogo are still there, the 70-year-old chief told the Herald through an interpreter in Bawe last week. The locals' descriptions of Ibu Gogo are about a meter tall, with pot bellies, long arms, that match the features of this new species of human hobbits, quote-unquote, whose bones were recently unearthed by Australian and Indonesian researchers in a different part of Flores in a cave known as Lingboa. The unexpected discovery of this tiny, uh, tiny Homo floresiensis, who existed until at least 12,000 years ago. Now, 12,000 years ago was just a tick that was not long ago. And if you survived through five glaciations where the ice came and went five times... And made it to that point, which was just ending about 12 or 15 thousand years ago. It seems to me very difficult to believe that you didn't survive afterward. So I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think that these these fellows are still around, which is so cool. Now let's just hope we don't go in there and uh, try to put them in a cage uh, and uh, and act like they're an animal. You know, maybe we could look, uh, maybe we could try a little bit more. Uh, a more mature approach and uh, try to make communication without destroying them and try to establish some sort of a link. Um, in any case, the, uh, uh, the chief adds that the mysterious little woman in Bowie somehow escaped her captors and that the local police said they knew nothing of her existence when he quizzed them. The prospect that some hobbits still exist in pockets of thick, fertile jungle on Flores is extremely unlikely, says Douglas Hobbs a member of the team that discovered Homo floriensis. But it is possible they survived near Bow- Bowie until 300 or so years ago. <laughs> so they go from 12,000, now this guy is willing to say 300 years. Now, come on, 300 years. If you survived 300 years ago, uh, up until 300 years ago, the odds are you're still with us uh, because uh, the, the devastation to the indigenous people really didn't start in earnest till about the 1850s. Uh, when colonialism and uh, uh, industrialist expansion and capitalism uh, invaded those cultures. And uh, we, lost, uh, we lost a lot of that stuff. And that is in full swing right now. Um, that's in full swing right now. We're losing indigenous cultures. We're loo- losing indigenous knowledge. And um, it's a shame. And it's happening in this country as well, up in Alaska in uh, in the in the plains in the in the uh, in the southwest where the Hopi uh, live and the former home of the Anasazi and the Pueblo Indians and the Lakota and the Plains Indians all all of these cultures that have been relegated to history are just of h- historical note now but they're not the cultures still exist and uh, Uh, to at least a certain degree the knowledge still exists but we have to try to keep that knowledge alive um, because there's tremendous value in it and uh, anyway it's going on all around the world and if these so-called hobbits really do exist and they're still alive well, I think that is uh, an amazing thing and I think it's really cool and I think it's something that we should um, uh, we should, uh, we should make sure that we do our best not to screw it up, all right OK, let's see here. We are going to uh, play a little music. I'm going to get my guests on the air, and then we'll come back, do a little bit do a little bit more on um, a little background on the weather, manipul- weather manipulation uh, topic that we're going to be talking about tonight, and uh, play a little music and uh, come back. So this is Mike. You listen to radio orbit on KOPN, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. It's about five minutes till three in the morning. And, uh, I've been having a little bit of technical difficulty with the phones. Right now, I've got uh, Scott Stevens on the line. Um, I'll bring him on in just a few minutes uh, from now, but I'm having a little difficulty getting him and Kent on the line at the same time, and it's the first time that I've ever had to do this three-way thing. So I'm going to try to figure it out at the next break, but uh, uh, before then, um, I'm going to do a little bit of background. We'll talk to Scott. We'll do an intro with him and uh, talk a little bit with him and then uh, try to get Kent back on the line, and if we can't do it, we can't do it. So... That's just the way it goes. Uh, uh, so let's uh, get right back to it here. Now, our topic for, I want to do a little bit of background. Our topic tonight is going to be weather manipulation and uh, uh, some of the things related to that. And I'd like to uh, just read a little bit of background here. There was actually a, um, uh, a project back in 19, 1996. There was something that we came across uh, that Kent actually had posted up on uh, cyberspace orbit a long time ago, and it's probably still there somewhere. But it was called uh, "It was called Weather as a Force Multiplier, uh, Owning the Weather in 2025." That's what it was. Uh, that's what it was called. And I'd like to read a little bit of, the, uh, of that for you, real fast here. It. Um, it was actually a military presentation it was done by uh, uh... a couple of uh... or a number of military personnel colonels and majors and, uh, people at that level officers and it was uh... quite an extensive report and i'm just going to read the executive summary here real fast and that should make it real clear it's uh, many many pages long the entire report but uh... but this is the executive summary and it says in twenty twenty five and as a uh, as an aside, the dates on these things I always ignore. In fact, usually when uh, when when I see papers like this hit the uh, uh, hit the public uh, or hit the mainstream, uh, I usually assume that the technology that, that was involved in those particular papers is already operational. And that's just me, but uh, I just know too much about the past uh, um, developments of some of this technology and how long it's typically kept under wraps until it's actually. Uh, actually released into the into the public, and it's usually released into the public um, when the technology is no longer uh, the uh, state of the art. It's usually released when the technology is passe, and then the uh, uh, then it's fine to tell everybody about it. So, anyway, I digress. In 2025, U.S. aerospace forces can, quote unquote, own the weather by capitalizing on emerging technologies and focusing development on those technologies to warfighting applications. Such a capability offers the warfighter tools to shape the battle space in ways never before possible. It provides opportunities to impact operations across the full spectrum of conflict and is present to all possible futures. The purpose of this paper is to outline a strategy for the use of a future weather modification system to achieve military objectives rather than to provide a detailed technical roadmap. A high-risk, high-reward endeavor, weather modification offers a dilemma not unlike the splitting of the atom, while some segments of society will always be reluctant to examine controversial issues such as weather modification, the tremendous military capabilities that could, that could result from this field are ignored at our peril. From enhancing friendly operations or disrupting those of the enemy via small-scale tailoring of natural weather phenomenon to, complete, to the complete dominance of global communications and counter-space control, weather modification offers the warfighter a wide range of possible options to defeat or coerce an adversary. Coerce. Hmm, I wonder how they might do that. Maybe with famine or something? Some of the potential capabilities of a weather modification system could prove to be a war fighting commander in chief. Or uh, I'm, I apologize. Some of the potential capabilities a weather modif- modification system could provide to a war fighting commander in chief are listed in Table One. Now, our current pre- pre- pardon me, our current president considers himself a war president. He says it all the time. Now, this was written in 1996, and that, was the, that, and that was the line, one of the lines from the executive summary. It says right here, the following are some of the potential capabilities a weather modification system could provide to a warfighting commander-in-chief, and he lists those in table one. Technology advancements in five major areas are necessary for an integrated weather modification capability, advanced nonlinear modeling techniques, computational capability, information gathering and transmission, a global sensor array, and weather intervention techniques. Some intervention tools exist today, and others may, deve- may be developed and refined in the future. So, that's the executive summary of. Uh, Weather as a Force Multiplier, Owning the Weather in 2025. And this is a United States Air Force document. And um, I'm going to read one other quote before we bring uh, Scott on the air here. We'll actually probably play a song at the top of the hour, and then we'll bring Scott on. I'll try one more time to get Kent. And, um, uh, but uh, think about this before we, get to, uh, before we get to our guests, okay? This is a quote uh, from a Department of Defense news briefing. Uh, This is Secretary of Defense William S. Cohen. He was the Secretary of Defense under President Bill Clinton. And uh, this is during a question and answer uh, answer period at the Conference on Terrorism, Weapons uh, of Mass Destruction, and the U.S. Strategy. This is at the University of Georgia at Athens, April 28, 1997. The former U.S. Secretary of Defense, as he was the Secretary of Defense, this is what he was quoted as saying. Others are engaging even in an echo type of terrorism whereby they can alter the climate set off earthquakes, volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves so there are plenty of ingenious minds out there that are at work finding ways in which they can wreak terror upon other nations it's real and that's the reason why we have to intensify our efforts and that's why this is so important that was Bill Clinton's Secretary of State Uh, Secretary of of Defense, I take that back, William Cohen in 1997, uh, talking about the possibilities of uh, uh, electromagnetic weaponry and such being used uh, in weather modification and those sorts of things. So, uh, all right, uh, this is Mike, you're listening to KOPN Radio Orbit, Uh, it is 3.05, we're going to get... One quick uh, song here on the air, and uh, then, we'll get on the, uh, then we'll get on with it with Scott Stevens and uh, hopefully Kent Stebbins if we can get, him, uh, get them both on the air at the same time. This is Mike. Apologize for the technical difficulty, but we'll be back in just a moment. This is, uh, in the meantime, this is called Like the Weather. This is uh, 10,000 Maniacs Unplugged. <laughs> This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And I've got a couple guests on the line. If I was successful here, and I think I was, my first guest is uh, a regular on the program. His name is Kent Stedman, And all of you people who listen to the show regularly know Kent. He is the uh, owner-operator of the incredible website CyberspaceOrbit.com. And, uh, Kent, are you with us here? Howdy there. There uh-huh. he is. and uh, Yeah, and uh, our next guest is... Uh, uh, first time on the program, his name is Scott Stevens, and uh, Scott is a meteorologist, a real live TV weatherman up in the Northwest. Uh, he's a guy who's been fascinated with the weather his whole life, and uh, went to school to learn about it, and followed a path down that road, and uh, it has led, led him uh, from the weather room to chasing tornadoes, and uh, lots of interesting things, and now he's on radio orbit tonight. So, Scott... Uh, after the technical issues, uh, I'm very pleased to say hello and <laughs> bring you on the air.
0: I'm honored to be here with you, Mike. you going right. on the phones.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, you know, this radio technology and the telephones, you'd think everything else has gotten pretty good, but we still have problems with the phones, it seems. And
2: uh, There's always uh, something.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh, something. Uh, looks like we got it together here, and uh, Kent, say hi to Scott there.
2: Hi, it's Scott. Hi, Mark. Kent. Mm. Glad to talk to you. You
0: too, you too. Been a a visitor of the site for years. Oh, have you really?
2: Oh, yes. yes.
1: Okay, well, that's a good place to start. I think we're going to mention that we've got um, a number of the things that we'll be talking about involve imagery. And uh, so people, if you want to follow along... um, There are a number of ways to do it. First thing, you can just go to www.radioorbit.com. That's R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. From there, you can jump right over to cyberspaceorbit.com, Kent's website, or you can also jump from there right over to weatherwars.info, which is uh, Scott's uh, site. So we have radioorbit.com with just one O in the middle there. We have www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Most of you are probably familiar with Kent's site by now. And then uh, Scott's site is www.weatherwars.info. So uh, with that said... um, uh, yeah, we got all kinds of interesting, th- interesting things to talk about tonight, you guys. And um, uh, people know pretty much uh, Kent about you and about where you've come from. And and we'll uh, once we get going, will people will understand why y- why you're on the air with us uh, with Scott tonight because you've been following a lot of this stuff for a long time as well. Um, but. For people who don't know you, Scott, why don't you give us a little bit of background, just real quick, just so we can frame out your uh, history and uh, and what you're about and what and how you got interested in all this stuff.
0: So. Boy, if, I mean, weather's been an interest of mine since since I was a kid. Um, scouting was probably the one thing. Doing the weather merit badge, I got hooked up with one of the local weathermen, uh, one of the one of the local affiliates out here in Idaho when I was what 13 14 years old so it, it's been in my blood since uh since i was just a kid and uh I, i've always kind of had the direction I'd, i either was going to be a pilot an astronaut or a weatherman All right. <laughs> so i mean I, I, either way i was looking up and uh, i ended up weather, weatherman because i paid attention on career day and i would get to stay home at night and sometimes and, and some jobs the salaries aren't too bad so uh i ended up uh going to kansas to go to school which is Far from where you are and, uh, and chased some thorns and then did a couple of stints in Omaha, Nebraska and then Tulsa, Oklahoma Albany, New York and then back out here uh, far, far closer to home uh, in the Mountain West and boy, I, I, there's a lot of information that came across me. You know, I've always been the kind of a person that I'm reading. I'm just always reading. Mm-hmm. Things fascinate me that other people just aren't interested. I don't know why but I just, I, it, my curiosity's And and I wish more people were like that, because this would be, well, it's already an interesting place, but I think it would be a far more peaceful world. Um, uh, Just a lot of information came up about contrails and chemtrails. Mm. And uh, also in technology, Tom Bearden's page, about the the ability to alter weather. And I don't know that I I took it all seriously. Uh, The information was out there. And you, you can't just dismiss something because you don't have a great enough awareness to understand it. And so you file the information away And hopes that in some time in the future that information has some importance to you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what happened with me, is that the pieces rapidly fell into place um, earlier this year about what was going on in the skies. It all had a place. Whatever project was out there, there was... there. It had a... It, it, It had a purpose. It had a purpose and hence a place in this massive jigsaw puzzle that we're all sitting down here on the ground trying to figure out.
1: Now, um, was the reason that you started to to pick these things out, do you think that it was directly related to the fact that you are a meteorologist and that you were able to see things in the skies and pick things out that maybe the average observer wouldn't recognize as... Uh, as strange or wrong and you know what before uh, you, you can answer that but, but I also go, go ahead and answer that question actually
2: well, well
0: the first thing that got me curious was that forecasting accuracy I've always been good I mean I, it's just it's just a knack I've had I've always been good at forecasting okay and we had a couple of winters 97, 98, 98, 99 it was rough it was brutal to get the forecast right hmm and, uh, it was, it, it all came back to the models. The computer models were performing poorly over those winters. And even into the summers, the short range, two or three day issues that, uh, two or three day forecasts, which should be a piece of cake in this day and age with this level of technology, with this label of compu- level of computing power, with the data that goes into this. Yeah. I mean, the science has been behind it for 50 years. It is solid. But we were just miserable in getting things right. And I think that was the crack in the door that made me curious. That there's something else going on.
3: Okay. Something
0: just doesn't just doesn't smell right. So, all right,
1: all right. And and currently, um, and you, and you can talk about this as much or as little as you like. Uh, you're, you' you're, uh, is is that still a current position of yours? Are you still forecasting weather right now?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Hey, pays the bills.
1: Okay, so that's what you do you for bet. a living. You bet. You bet. All right.
0: You bet. Okay. I mean, there's there's other things I'd rather do, but just pay the build
1: for that. Right, and that's your and that's your profession, and that's what yeah. you're stuck with. Okay. All right. I understand that. Okay. Um, now, for Kent, I'm going to talk a little bit real fast, Kent, about how why all three of us are on the on the line together, and and uh, and how that kind of happened. And um, it starts with the hurricanes. I think. Would you agree?
2: Well, I, uh, I'm kind of a spotter. I uh, My my background is the visual arts, and uh, I've always been interested in weather, too. In fact, in high school, uh, one of our projects was to build a series of weather things, so I built build an anemometer, a little spinny wheel that, <laughs> that does the wind velocity out of old erector set parts, and then I got this wild idea one night to build something that would forecast of weather and I went down in my dad's shop and I built this contraption not sure exactly what I was supposed to do and then I presented it to my science class and the teacher just about fell over backwards laughing (laughs) but uh, I'm more of an imaginative type my background is in the visual arts so my assignment is to just kind of look and see what's out there and then fetch it back and dump it on the doorstep and uh... I've seen some things that have just given me a whole boatload of questions that I hope maybe the three of us can, can figure out here. For instance, we've seen, uh, uh, we've seen like, a, I've, the most amazing thing to me is I've been seeing kind of a geometric overlay on, mm-hmm. on the weather systems now for quite some time. Like a, in the Atlantic, we saw approaching the Azores, we saw a big, opening in the in the normally amorphous weather pattern, there was this big panagram right in the middle of everything mm-hmm. and and in the pacific uh, a couple of years ago, we saw these set of concentric rings uh they look kind of like a moray pattern like a you mm-hmm. know when you mm-hmm. when you take two pieces of screen door and you twist them around and we've seen the uh, in the center of the hurricanes, instead of an oval or or round center we've been seeing uh, and pentag- a pentagram shapes and uh, right, uh, now I understand when like uh, uh, you know sprinkling a bunch of salt on a drum head and then uh, broadcasting sound in the, the into the drum head, you begin to see a geometry uh, it's off times, uh, you'll see a geometric pattern as a result of the wave. Interference with the drumhead, and so it's not uh, totally puzzling to me how electromagnetic—this electromagnetic sea that's over us now, for the first time in history—and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, possibly manipulated by the Air Force and others might uh, extrapolate into a kind of weird geometry. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that—that's that, one of the things uh, I. Um Originally, there are a couple things, that, and, and I want to do some definitions here first, too, and Scott, maybe you can jump here, in here in a second, but um, we mentioned already uh, chemtrails, uh, and we've mentioned scalers, and I want to clarify some of this stuff uh, So for, for the people who aren't familiar with these things and what they are, um, but uh, j- just to sort of finish the opening thing here, what happened uh, uh, was Kent had put up that you know the first one was Isabel that blew us away was last year when Hurricane Isabel uh, literally had a pentagram scribed sort of inside the eye of the hurricane, and that was of great interest but then this year uh, when we had the uh, the hurricanes that were just sort of coming off. Uh, ...toward Florida, just like a railgun, one after another, bang, bang, bang. Again, we were seeing all of these interesting geometries within the eyes of the hurricanes. Uh, pentagonal, for some reason, it seems like. And I think, uh, as Scott said before, he has been uh, visiting cyberspace orbit for some time. And when he saw this stuff, it uh, it certainly flagged him. And uh, And then he got in touch with Kent... And, and then we all got in touch together. So that's sort of why we're all on the phone together here, uh, because it kind of was a congruence of a number of different events that happened. But it's been going on for quite a while, you guys. And, and regarding the chemtrail, Scott, 1998, I was living in Denver, Colorado. That's when I first saw them. And, uh, and I've seen them everywhere, including outside of this country. What, what can you tell us about, first of all, let's do what we think they are and then maybe what they might be used for?
0: Well, First thing, and the most obvious explanation is that they're commercial aircraft,
1: certainly, and
0: and they fly and they leave a, a, a condensation trail, as as we're all taught, and uh, that's just a function of the the relative humidity at flight level will determine the duration of the trail. Very simple explanation. Many many days the trails just don't appear because the air is so dry, or or the fuel mixture, or whatever, they just don't show up, and then other days the trails. Never, they'll, they'll, they're, they're painted down, and that's, a, that's a, probably a fairly accurate term, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they just simply float out, and uh, we get a veil of cloud cover. We just get a milky, hazy cloud cover. And depending on the environment that those trails are then sprayed in will determine whether, how long they last, how dense they go, uh, and, and so forth. And so it they- all has an effect on, on weather, hence the climate
1: so they don't uh, they don't stay in the in their original form they spread out is that is that what's happening
0: well I mean, even regular contrails will do that right but it's the sheer numbers of them and the planes in locations or in paths that are not commercial tracks here in eastern idaho we don't get north south traffic there's south of us is Salt Lake City, but you 're not flying down in a seven four seven from Butte, Montana, mm-hmm. or from Regina, Saskatchewan. You just don't do that. So these these crafts are flying a grid pattern, and they're leaving contrails which do not dissipate. And even on, in dry atmospheres, in dr- post-storm, after storm has gone through, is when the air is the most stable, it's the driest, uh, those contrails, those chemtrails, will last longer than commercial aircraft, which in those environments leave no trail at all. So they'll eventually fan out or, or dissipate, but they're still leaving something behind. And you'll see that as oil smokes in the clouds.
1: Right. Now, sometimes, uh, and, and, and that's that's one of the sort of uh, uh, distinguishing factors, is that when sunlight moves through these, sometimes you get that sort of oily effect where it looks like you see almost like a rainbow effect.
0: Yeah. And, and it's not the entire spectrum of color that we get through the refraction of rain droplets and a rainbow it's a little more skewed to the salmon pinkish and then and just kind of a pale green color. You'll get other weaker colors represented from the, from the spectrum, but those are the two primary ones. And that's how you can tell. And you almost get no, uh, how do we call it, mid to upper tropospheric clouds at between about 16 and, and 25,000 feet. You do not get cloud development that that just simply doesn't show that chemical or that color signature anymore. Okay. Yeah, every time you get the cloud, the sun in front of those kind of clouds, you'll see that chemical
2: signature. They're there, and their goal is to keep it sprayed everywhere at every time. Yeah, the the scope of the project just blows me away. I mean, everywhere oh. traveling around, I was in Santa Cruz and the. In the out on the streets, people were walking around and they were spraying over the top of everybody and then people were watching, making comments, you know, and uh, uh it's everywhere, it's everywhere. And like you say, the, here in Seattle, the, the, the aircraft are really way up there and they're not flying in necessarily to the Seattle airport. And, uh, and what alarms me, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing on a technical basis, but when I start reading uh, certain patents and so on, like the Eastland patents, uh, right. where they where they are uh, uh, intentionally uh, talking about doing aerosol spraying and uh, for reasons I don't totally understand except that uh, Bernard Eastland is the guy behind the harp. And if you link that to the... Air Force paper that we've been reading recently, and uh, it might have something to do with the ducting of electrical currents creating some kind of weird atmospheric capacitor, but then I'll just have to shut my mouth because I'm not sure I can (laughs) can (laughs) specify
0: what You know, if they would share the information, the purpose of the mission for us, then we could discuss it, you know, with more I, I, I don't know, honesty? With more truthful information rather than sitting down here on the ground and getting little snippets of information here and there and trying to use conjecture and trying to use logic and trying right. to use okay. common sense to put together the story. Right. You and know, and, and if they want us to discuss this openly and honestly, then we have to be we have to be treated as citizens of this country and not herds. Right. You guys,
1: you know, and Kent, you mentioned the scale of the operation and, uh, um, I actually I was in Europe uh, in 2001, uh, just shortly after the Trade Center uh, disaster. By the way, I was there in September of 2001, and uh, uh, my wife and I were in the southern part of France and the northern part of Spain, in middle of nowhere. We were on our honeymoon, so we were trying to find places that were very difficult to get to, and uh, we did a lot of walking around and hiking around and stuff. And I've got all kinds of photos. Um, that uh, from our travels around Europe, where this stuff is happening there as well. So, I mean, there's no question about it. I'm, I, I mean, that was, like I said, I started watching this stuff in '98, so I was pretty familiar with, you know, being able to uh, tell the distinguish between the typical contrail from an airliner and this and these other ones that are flying these grid patterns. Scott,
0: you know, I'd, I was a little slow to the game. I uh, had visited a lot of those sites. And had come across the information and thought, yeah, yeah, but until you see it yourself, until you see it, you know, it, it doesn't have quite the impact. You can see all of the contrails in the sky, but until you sit down, take the time, and figure out which plane is going where, where it might have come from, and living on the west coast, or at least closer to the west coast, you can isolate a lot of the directions of the traffic. And it was, it was a big event for me, July and uh, August of this year. I um, started taking pictures, started taking pictures. And mm-hmm. There was one plane, August 28th, flying overhead early afternoon. The whole breadth of the wing of this 747 was glowing, glowing. Like, okay, that's one of them. And mm-hmm. uh, from that point on, every contrail had my camera zoom lens put at it. And you take the pictures. You take the pictures. You take the pictures. And you come back shaking your head, going to these guys. Ever sleep? How many planes do they have? Yeah, what? Well, Eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand. You know, and every airspace that is open to NATO has this project going on. Every right, single right, airspace. Right,
2: right. And Can you imagine
0: that? It's almost global. It is global. It is global. But well, then the question is why. Right. What is the intent? What are we intending to do by dumping these millions of tons of gook in the sky? Is it, is it reducing sunlight? Is it global warming? Is it biological? Is it pathological? Mm-hmm. Is or,
1: or, or is it, is it technological?
0: Technological. Oh, you know, exactly. Is it to reduce the effects of, of scalar weaponry? Is it to reduce certain uh, wavelengths of sunlight? Is it... Uh, who knows? Okay,
1: well, that, that, that that's a good place to uh, to to ask another question. Then, we've been talking uh, about uh, some sort of a project where planes are flying and and, and either spraying or, or, or leaving uh, something in the sky that's not n- not a typical contrail. We're also th- we we also mentioned s- scalar. Kent, um, this might be one. Uh, well, between the two of you, let's try to come up with a reasonable definition of scalar and what that technology means and whether it's even real. And, and, and I'm not even sure that it matters, to be honest. I had a guy on the air last week who was really discounting the idea of scalar uh, technology for and he had his reasons or whatever i quite frankly i don't have the
0: uh come on the establishment didn't acknowledge that the wright brothers had flown for five years oh and
1: i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more scott but you know, what i'm saying is that regardless of the technology something is happening i don't care if it's like,
0: you yeah know, we're, if it, we're beyond the discussion does it happen or doesn't happen right it, it happens we have to accept it and we have to understand the technology. And what it's being used for, we have to get beyond the bickering about whether it's real or not,
1: okay, well then let's talk about that technology and what and what it is and how it works and all that stuff.
2: Do you want me to give a seat of the my yeah. to the pants
1: yeah, yeah, jump in
2: <laughs> well, well i you know I asked around and, and and you know every time I ask a question about scalar technology on my website, I get all these letters saying it doesn't exist, therefore, I think something is happening. <laughs> Uh, because uh, the reaction is so intense and, the, you know, it's kind of like a litmus test. <laughs> right. And so I asked some people. A friend of mine is ex-military uh, uh, electronic intelligence. I asked him about it, and he said, well, he said, imagine two rams coming down a valley on the, either side of a the mountain range in combat, and they come down to the center of the valley and they butt heads bam and uh, with equal force and he says uh, on w- in one aspect it looks like the force has canceled itself out neutralized itself but in the other aspect there's a tremendous amount of force um. and he compared that to scalar technology the ramming ramming of uh, uh, transmissions in such a way that it creates a kind of super potentiality in other words it's uh, I can only think of uh, my high school physics a kind of voltage that will pop up someplace else
0: hmm. Well, uh, what I tell people when I have to explain this and at work I explain this to scout groups that come through tour groups I mean if, if you're coming to, to visit me at the station if we do a tour of the building, we inevitably talk about weather modification modification.
1: Is that right? Now that's amazing because I, I was going to say that some of the some of the first questions I'm going to have for my listeners is uh, how does how does Scott even still have a job? And I and and I wanted to mention that you're you're very open about the research you're doing and you're talking to people about it. So like
0: I've, like I've said, either it happens or it doesn't happen. Right. We're beyond the bickering. This thing happens and we have to understand it.
1: Right. And we got to talk about it. It
0: has to be discussed. And so if we begin with with, with elementary sk- kids, if we begin with the parents, you know, there are just not enough people discussing what's going on, on, on with, this, with this project. Um, scalar weaponry or scalar, scalar EM waves are longitudinal electromagnetic waves that are not attenuated by solid mass. Um, the Russians, basically the project started in the, in the late 30s, early, early 40s, when Stalin got wind that we had started the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. which resulted in two atomic bombs being exploded over Japan in 1945. Um, they were behind that, but they said, we, you know, we can manage this project. We can, we can build these weapons. But he said, told his scientists, get me something else. Get me something better. Literally boatloads of papers came into the Soviet Union from the U.S., from the Western powers, from universities, from, from I mean, it was research. And their scientists, thousands of them, poured over the papers, poured over the documents, looking for inaccuracies, mistakes, um, problems that didn't get solutions. And they spent millions of man hours on this project, the equivalent of seven Manhattan projects went into the development of scalar weaponry. Wow. And what they did was mated quantum theory with classical physics that connection has been made and has been made for more well it was made more than 60 years ago
1: right now I agree with you there and, certainly. and Western
0: science has yet to acknowledge that that our theory of thermodynamics conservation of energy all of these theories are are and remain flawed in textbooks taught to students today here in the States and in the Western yeah, world yeah no question and until that's rectified we remain at a distinct disadvantage to the Soviet system hmm. um, So what happened is they began developing this technology. They deployed these strategic scalar interferometers in the northern latitudes around Russia, and there are many of them. And what has happened is this energy can just basically be shifted around. You take the natural energy, the ambient energy that is within the Earth's atmosphere or its energy field, and you just move it from spot to spot.
1: Hmm.
0: You move it where you want it.
1: So that's the technology, is being, being able to move it and put it where you want it.
2: And use quantum theory to do it.
1: Non-locality.
2: Yeah. So, so it kind of, uh, uh, they produce an impulse of some kind and then it jumps through quantum space. Is that what we're talking and, about? And, and can be released huh.
0: in, in different locations. Right. It's messy. Amazing. It's still messy. It's not perfect. Right. We, have, we have errors. We see mistakes. Um, but it happens. And that... Capability as computing power has grown and grown well, geometrically over the right, last 40 years right, right. It enables them to overlay the entire Earth with this fine grid, this fine mesh of cubes, because it has to have depth.
1: Hey, um, Kent, what have we been seeing in uh, a lot of the imagery that we've been looking at?
2: Uh, geometric solids, yeah. And cubes, right? Cubes, yeah. We've seen cubes. I guess We've seen
1: cubes in the sun, for Christ's sake. <laughs> We've
2: seen the the, the solar uh, plasma form cubes. <laughs>
0: and that's how the energy is taken from the fourth dimension into the third dimension. It's realized through cubes.
1: Huh. Amazing. And okay, well, look, you guys, that's a good place to take a break here, I think. Um, when we come back, we will... Uh, continue our conversation here with meteorologist Scott Stevens and uh, Kent Stedman. And maybe we can look at some of the images. So I'll mention the websites again. Uh, The best bet uh, for the images, I think, is to go to www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And uh, right at the top of Kent's page, there's a link over to Scott's page. And Scott has a lot of stuff up there as well. So uh, you guys, um, maybe uh, off the air, you can talk, and um, or we'll talk, and decide what we want to look at, or whatever. But anyway, we'll, we'll come back and talk some more about all this stuff, and look at some of these images, and um, real interesting stuff. I, uh, uh, both of you, thanks again for being here. This is going to be great. We've got plenty of time to talk about this stuff, and we'll get uh, we'll get deeply into it. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, back in a minute. This is uh, Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's the 12th of December, and it's about 3:35 a.m. Uh, we're listening to uh, Kent Steven and Scott Stevens back in a minute, in the meantime, this is you two with Bullet the Blue Sky. you too with bullet the blue sky uh, from uh, the Joshua Tree and uh, this is Mike Hagan you're listening to Radio Orbit I'm on the line with uh, my guest Scott Stevens a meteorologist uh, from uh, eastern Idaho and a TV weatherman as well and uh, uh, Kent Stedman the operator of cyberspaceorbit.com you guys there
2: you might have heard me holler at my son. He was playing rock and roll <laughs> music in the background. <laughs>
1: now nah, I had you. Sh- I had you shut down. <laughs> I had you shut down. I know what to expect. Brian. <laughs> I know what to expect from you when you're on the air. I'm like, I got to keep my eye on Stedman. I wasn't too worried about Scott, but
0: <laughs> I was just admiring when you two was great. <laughs> yeah, they're still good, but that was, they were great.
1: No doubt, you know. And I was thinking about this weather modification, and all I thought was bullet the blue sky, because that's what they're doing, and. Uh, so that was kind of why I chose that song But anyway, okay, uh, so here we are We got about, uh, we'll do about uh, 15 minutes uh, You guys, and then at the top of the hour We'll play another song And I'll have to do a, do a little break And uh, then, we can, uh, then we can go for another half hour Or 40 minutes after that And um, uh, so we got plenty of time So, okay, where were we? We were talking about uh, scalar technology uh, By the way, um, and I don't care if I, if I talk about this on the air Were you guys able to hear me um, When I was chatting with you off the air?
2: No, I was
1: no, no. Yeah, see, I figured uh, I, I didn't want to pick up the phone because I'm afraid I'll lose you because I'm so unfamiliar with this uh, three-way setup. So uh, I, was, uh, I thought I had a way to talk to you guys, but it obviously didn't work. I was talking to the air, so. <laughs> no,
2: but you play great music.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, well, cool. I appreciate it. Okay, so uh, where next? What do you guys, uh, where do you want to go? Kent, I'll let you uh, kind of uh, direct things for a minute here.
2: I want to see Scott's uh, imagery and the, his interpretation. That's what I, I'm tired of looking at mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's like. <laughs> uh,
1: that's yeah. a good idea. Well, let's do that. Let's go down to um, uh, www.weatherwars.info. And uh, I'm there right now as well.
2: I'm clicking over there too. I'm
1: bit. clicking away here, just cruising down. I'm reading about the Yakuza and the Shrinko and or Amshrenritoyo, uh, whatever that is, the Japanese mob. Oh my! And that's he's, all Beard and stuff that he's been talking about for a long time.
0: He's um he's a brilliant man. Why
1: don't you talk about Tom for a minute, Scott?
0: I've had I I have sent in stuff to him, but have not. He's tough to get a hold of too. Uh, to his webmaster, but I've not get, gotten anything back. However, there was somebody who did write after seeing my site, um, and and had had a lot to share. But communication with this man has been uh, sporadic at best, and so I, I'm hungry. I'm hungry to learn what's you know what's going on and, and what the potential. But Bearden, Bearden's biggest fear is that um, we're unprepared for this. What he calls asymmetric warfare, mm-hmm. meaning heavily lopsided uh, warfare that has, uh, that has begun again. Um, Challenger and the Columbia space shuttles taken down by the scalar weaponry. And I saw a piece on, I think it was National Geographic Channel tonight, called Mega Lightning. Hmm. You know how they like to hype stuff, mega storm, mega this, mega that, mega lightning. Hmm. And it talked about the research in the upper atmosphere of these sprites. Um, Lightning that originates at about 53 miles up on average and then extends downward. And when we do lightning track, when we're talking about severe thunderstorms, many, many of the lightning strikes are what we call negatively charged. But occasionally one comes through that's got a positive charge. And w- that is a strike of lightning that is stronger than the others and originates in the ionosphere from one of these sprites. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- where they went with this was, was completely a, a surprise for me. They took it to aircraft, being struck by lightning, and then downed, which we know is is a risk for those who choose to fly these days. Sure. And then to... Uh, an amateur astronomer outside of Marin well, it was Southern California when I believe it was Columbia was re-entering February 1 last year mm-hmm. uh, re-entering and he captured a shot in his 8 second exposure of this square bit of lightning and you know where we're going with this mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. is that this technology moves energy around Appears or manifests itself as squares, and it took down this shuttle. Um, so that's one of the things it's capable of. In in and amongst weather sup- weather suppression or rain suppression, the stimulation of of hurricanes and their, and their steering, um, exciting or generating a charge long long or high power transmission lines for the electrical grid.
1: Hey, uh, is is there a reason why? the pentagram or the pentagonal geometry seems to show up to?
0: I, I think it's the five. It's the issue with the number five. Hmm. More than anything. There's there's just some kind of resonance that uh, when hurricanes reach a certain velocity that, that that shape forms within the eyes. And I went back even one more hurricane to Isidore a year before.
1: Or Isabel, yeah.
0: Well, we've had Ivan, Isabel, Isidore, oh, and the sorry. other eyes, and
2: they all show this
3: huh. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. All with hard. this I might mention here that with the hurricane gene I was able to get an animation uh, and we watched the pentagram walls of the eye of the hurricane mutate to a cube over a, uh, like an hour period
0: and, and the reason we use squares or we can use cubes is simple we're pushing energy it's like shoveling snow you shovel it along a straight line and eventually you're going to get a break or a shear at the end of the shovel where you quit pushing and you get the squares you'll get the, the other two lines that make up that make up that that push as I like to call it when we look at satellite imagery um, so you end up with these square pushes and you impart angular momentum by that push and then the rest of the atmosphere will sweep on in and continue the, will, will curl um, oh square 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 you square. know you
1: know i I'd like to add too, and kent you uh you're aware of this we've talked about this stuff before, but the the cube is also in sort of an esoteric way, you know the representation of three dimensional space, and there are there are there are lots of uh, interesting um, numeric ideas that are associated with the cube the number six, the number seven, the number eight, for example, you know a square has six sides, eight corners. It's
0: sacred geometry. Uh, yes,
1: there's a lot of geometry going on in there. So, okay, good.
0: Um, yeah, and it's all it's all intentional. I mean, there there is a, a respect for how energy is emerged, if you will, into this dimension from before, and it emerges within these harmonics, within these shapes, and we recognize them as cubes, as pentagrams, as uh, proportions of triangles or triangles within, in, in circles or triangles within squares, there, there's there's a sacredness to, to the numerology
2: that is um, this, if you will. There's a, there's a rectangle called the, uh, maybe you've heard of it, the golden rectangle uh, sure. around the constant phi or the golden mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course you can make a rectangular solid out of it too, but the proportions within it are unique in that they kind of repeat themselves harmonically and if you look at the mathematics behind it like there's an ined, a numbering system where you add each integer to itself as you go and you get what's called a Fibonacci series mm-hmm. and if you if you look real closely within the Fibonacci series uh, and you divide a number by its prior number you know uh, you begin to see a kind of sine wave happening as, as this uh, wave goes up and below the, uh, a straight line which would be the 1.618 or the golden mean and so there's a kind of there's a kind of diminishing sine wave that's happening there so within certain kind of what I'm trying to say is and this is from a, a visualist standpoint within certain kind of shapes there is a implied uh, harmony which is implied frequency which is implied wave structure you know and, uh, for instance, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at some of the uh, weather manipulation takes place by broadcasting uh, uh, certain waves, sine waves, that build, kind of build up like jumping on a trampoline. They, they build up in increasing force. And
0: we're fucking strings of
2: different notes. And
0: we're plucking strings of different notes.
2: Yeah, and if the strings uh, resonate with one another, the the effect, I think, can be quite vast, I mean, compared to the original input of the energy. And and
0: we see that,
2: as you talked about, in the moray patterns within the clouds, within
0: cumulus clouds. You see them within high clouds. And you see those resonances as they intersect with each other, cancel each other out, or line up against a boundary that has been put to stop their propagation
2: I'm looking at some of your images now on your website and there's a couple here that look like sort of magnetic lines of force as though if you had a magnet and shook a a magnetic uh, uh, you know iron filings over it they'd create these kind of uh, parallel rippling (laughs) energy uh, patterns and I'm seeing that in some of your... In fact, I've seen it myself over the Northwest, it's kind of rippling energy effect.
1: Right, I've seen that as well.
2: And, Kit, that's the thing. Is everybody has seen them.
0: But unless you know what you're looking at, it's just weather. It's just, it's just the everyday. That's what it, the way it always is. Just not that first high cloud. Basically, the first picture. Yeah, I'm let's driving. start. Let's
1: start with the first high cloud. It's real cool, actually. In fact, it's the one I chose to put on my website. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's it's actually a beautiful photo. Uh, but uh, tell tell us what, what what we're looking at.
0: That was one of about 80 I took that time. You know, I take the, took the dogs out for a nice little run. I always take the cameras with me, and uh, th- this was a, a beautiful, warm early November day and uh, clouds of course the planes were going back and forth so there's plenty for the the grid to work with you know as far as as far as cloud particles and, and stuff to, to vibrate into, into existence But um, you can see the parallel lines coming at us where there's two stems of this cloud but then they branch off and they almost look like the Fibonacci numbers towards the, the top of the picture there's a, a, a portion of the cloud that runs Level, It's it's horizontal. Right, right,
1: I see it, I see
0: it. But then there's another one angled up at about 30 degrees, and then another one at about 67 degrees. So you have to to not wonder if there aren't these 1 divided by 2, 1 divided by 3, 1 divided by Hmm. 4 angles Hmm. that show up within the clouds. But these cirrus clouds, we're talking about a, a, a gas which acts like a fluid won 't get the bends you won 't get these ninety degree bends and hard turns that show up in high clouds
1: right look at the uh, at the lower middle uh, part of that cloud right at the bottom part of it it, mm-hmm. it It starts off going sort of left to right and then it and it, you can almost see patterns that flow uh, directly from uh, they, they make a right turn and go northward or go up.
0: And, and there are the two darker areas that do turn northbound. Those right. two that run parallel. Right. Those were how the clouds started. And what's happening there is that's where the energy is collected. Or the moisture, once the, the ionization is turned on and the moisture particles begin to attract to these lines, these, these grid lines, the moisture attracts, condenses out, and then you'll get this fine rain of ice crystals. And that's what is flowing out, out of the bottom of, that, of those clouds.
1: All right. So that's what, the, that's what we're seeing there. That's ice crystals. That's
0: ice crystals. But huh. you have to... I mean, these clouds are forming in an environment of about 40 to 45% relative humidity. Far insufficient. Far ins- insufficient to develop regular serious clouds. We, we'd like to see it 70%, 70, 75 80%. And we have... And you probably get the letters too, Kent... From people in the Southwest or in California that say the clouds are just always muddy, they're hazy, and that's because we are we're getting clouds, a cloud cover that far exceeds climate climatological normals, and far exceeds what would normally develop if nature were left alone
1: right so a lot of this cloud cover like we're saying before is man-made cloud cover that's coming from whatever it is that's being released by this massive project of planes that are flying non-stop over the entire country and all over the place apparently right.
0: the planes are seeding and the grid comes along and excites it and then the cloud and and then immediately we've seen a minimum of three to five percent reduction in solar insulation Sometimes, as the day wears on, the cloud cover gets opaque enough that you've lost 10 to 15% of your inbound solar insulation. At this same token, at night, you keep that heat in. Hmm. So whether it's um, there's a longer-term goal that we want to have the, the Earth warmer and warmer, or if it's just to prime the area for the next inbound you know, storm off the Pacific or the storm from the Gulf, both could be accurate. Both
1: could be accurate. Hey um, Scott, let me ask you one question, sort of a, as an aside. As I've been watching the, the the planes for a long time, is does anybody has anybody ever determined what the significance of that X pattern is? It seems like they always make an X, and I and I, for the life of me, I've yet to hear somebody say, "Well, this is why they're always flying that." My particular.
0: my gut is, there's so many planes in the sky they can't help it. Right. Um, the other one is, the, here, look at me. <laughs> Um, for the, to the pilots to either the minions below, or to the guys watching it on with satellite surveillance back in NORAD.
1: Right. I was thinking it might be an identifier, so they could say, "Okay, that's a, you know, it's kind of an X marks a spot, literally."
2: You know. And I've seen I've seen like three X's evenly spaced. Correct? Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> I've seen friggin'
1: uh, li- like like uh, like um like a tic tac toe thing going on. You know, where you've got a whole grid where you actually have squares. You know, and uh, I've seen I, 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 it's amazing actually. And if you go to some of the uh, some of the websites of the guys that have really been photographing that for a long time, like like Cliff uh, uh man, I mean, it'll blow you away. You know, I mean, it's obvious. Like Scott says, there's no there's no debate anymore that this is obviously happening. It's just a question of really because we don't have that much information, we're trying to piece together what the hell we think is going on.
0: Let's say in one shift we have 600. 600 airplanes flying. Combination of seven forty seven, 757s, even 767s, that's what the Air Force would love to have is a fresh batch of tankers.
1: Now, why would you choose a number like 600, though, just just to, to educate people?
0: Um, Three shifts. If we have an inventory of 1,200 planes, some are going to be refueled and sent right up. So let's just say we have a l- about half the fleet flying at a given time. So if we take 600 airplanes, and if they have a 5,000-mile range with before they need to be refueled, think how many miles it got will be covered in a 10-hour in a shift or a 10-hour flight.
1: Hmm.
0: We're doing a lot of painting.
1: Well, yeah, and you know, there have been some incredible uh, photographs, actually satellite photographs, that have shown these huge grid patterns that literally cover big, giant sections of the entire country.
0: There's one on the site when we go into a...
1: Well, I tell you what. Let's—we're just about the top of the hour, so we'll we'll do that when we come back. Were you two? What's actually? I think we're going to play. Um, this is a song. Actually, uh we are going to play something by. Uh, uh, who is this? I'm trying to think of what I wanted to play. Oh, Blind Melon. This song oh. is called No Rain. <laughs> oh yeah, that works. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, let's do that. We'll be back in a minute with Kent Steadman and Scott Stevens. We're talking about weather manipulation and uh, chemtrails and uh, uh, just trying to figure out what's going on and maybe talk a little bit about why. And uh, I don't know. What do you think, you guys? We'll be back in a minute. What do you? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some more of these photos uh, when we come back. All right. Okay, uh, it's four o'clock on December 12th, Sunday morning. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world, more than radio, community radio. It's KOPN Columbia, your imagination station. And uh, KOPN serving Hatton and High Hill and Kingdom City and Jefferson City and Bunston and Roachport and uh, Wooldridge and Jeff City, all around mid-Missouri. So thanks for sticking with me tonight. Uh, My guests are Kent Stedman and Scott Stevens. Scott's a meteorologist uh, from eastern Idaho and a television weatherman there as well. Kent Stedman, of course, is the proprietor and uh, operator of cyberspaceorbit.com. Myself, this is Mike Hagan, and uh, in a minute, this will be Blind Melon. called No Rain. Speaking of no rain, I've got Scott Stevens, a meteorologist from eastern Idaho and a weatherman out there as well, along with Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit. I've got both of them on the line here with me this evening, and we're talking about weather modification and uh, uh, what it all means. Hey, guys.
2: All right, so I, I got a question for Scott.
1: All right, go for it.
2: In one of uh, your reports or, or one of your interviews uh, on the internet, uh, you were either quoted or paraphrased as saying that the weather systems are are digitized. That, and I and I got on the horn to my guys, I said, now what does that mean exactly? So maybe you could uh, discuss that a bit for.
0: Well, we talked about these uh the scalar interferometers able to project uh, the grids, the cubes, across the earth. And when you're in weather school and you have to digitize a sheet or digitize a radar map, what do you do? You overlay a grid across it and then put a value inside of that grid representing the data you want to quantify, whether it's the strength of radar, whether it's temperature, whether it's pressure or wind value. So what, what I mean by the weather's been digitized is that this cube, this, this grid, has been overlaid across the entire Earth, and a certain value is assigned to certain depths of the individual cubes. And if you're supposed to have a storm, then a certain lift will be assigned to generate the updraft to, to try to condense what moisture is there. Sometimes it's insufficient, and we see ratty clouds or ratty bottoms of the clouds. Sometimes there's sufficient moisture, and you get a flood as the lift exceeds what Mother Nature would produce.
1: So, le- let me clarify something here. So, we're saying that basically, the, the the over the grid overlay has been done over the entire planet, and even though they haven't, they they may not be as skillful as the operators, whoever they may whoever they may be. Uh, although they're not skillful enough to really get... They're not perfect at it, like you said before, Scott, but you're saying that they're, they're at least attempting to manipulate weather wherever they'd like?
0: Everywhere. Everywhere. There's a master program that runs, and we over here are trying to forecast what designs they have for the future weather. Mm-hmm. We're trying to forecast an organization's intent because they've got a... a Basically, the controls of this series of, of projectors uh, of scalar web, of scalar shooters um, that will fire little bits here, little bits there, and it's constant. constantly working, and uh, you know this, this energy can shoot through the earth, pop up, meet its interference zone, and then the, the grid's turned on in this in this say one kilometer by one kilometer cube, mm. and we begin to get clouds for them. Or, no. we, or we turn off clouds was the case of, uh, of Ivan as it came ashore. That right. whole southern right. eye wall of that hurricane collapsed sure before it, landfall. Man. And that, I bet, was our guys turning on Harp. And directing it at that inbound hurricane. Okay. So Trying to rain it out over the ocean before it made landfall.
1: Hey, um, that reminds me, that's another question. People are inevitably going to ask. I, I have skeptics that listen to my show as well, and I get email from all these people, and I try to reply intelligently when they ask me questions like this. But somebody will inevitably ask uh, um, where are the uh, the sources of this? technology in other words you just mentioned harp maybe we can talk about that a little bit either now or later but uh, they're gonna say where where does the where does it come from how do they actually do it in the physical world you know is there a big machine or is it a, a, a dish somewhere or what is
0: it I would like to see pictures of it I've seen pictures of harp but I haven't seen uh,
2: what is over in Russia
1: what do you make or, of that
2: well, I've seen them in Norway and Sweden. They have big arrays over there, and I've uh, read about the uh, similar harp-style antenna arrays in Russia too. But no, I haven't seen them. What,
0: what, what harp looks like is, is is simply 20, what like 20, 25, 30 foot tall uh, telephone poles or, or metal poles right. about 40 acres square, and you string wires across them, and then supporting poles, you know, in a grid all the way through it. And it's just this mesh of copper and aluminum wires. Remember, we're dealing with relatively low frequencies, fairly that when not microwave, nothing that high. They're fairly low frequencies um, because the, the stated goal from Harp is to deal with communications, long range, at depth communications with subs, and that's why naval intelligence runs it. That was the front, mm-hmm. and so ultra low frequency. Um And those have very little trouble uh dealing with with passing through physical substances, but scalar weaponry can pass right through the earth heck these these projectors could be on
2: the moon it doesn 't matter oh, let me tell you something and, and, they,
1: and they very may be or they very very may well be
2: <laughs> <laughs> let, let me the, it I, surprise me I have to mention this now. I did get a contact with Bearden through one of his intermediaries, and we were watching. The sun at the time, and I asked uh, this really close friend of Bearden to please ask him if there's anything that could be done technologically on the earth that would might affect even the sun. And you know, realizing that when we're talking about quantum uh, probabilities, that they're not necessarily limited to Kansas, you know, Right,
3: right, right. and
2: Bearden replied back to the affirmative, he says, Yes. Possible with some of these systems to even create an effect away from her, including on the sun. That blew me away. I had to go take a deep breath. Yeah. Right, right.
1: And if in fact, that, that's on that's on the website. I remember I remember reading that. So, uh, so once again, in fact, I'll re- I'll repeat that for people that are listening. If you want to go look at this stuff, uh, log on your computer and go to www.weatherwars.info. And uh, page down a little bit, and you'll start to see those images. And also, there's some great stuff over at cyberspaceorbit.com, uh, including uh, some of these uh, email conversations between Kent and uh, lots of other people, including uh, this uh, associate of, uh, of Colonel Tom Bearden, who, of course, is uh, we've been talking about as one of, one of the, certainly one of the experts, at least in our country, uh, on uh, on this topic of scalar technology. So,
0: and, and one of the few that will vocally express right. And, and that's that's a big part of it. Is, right. um, there's a mentality that it's just not discussed right and uh, yeah. it, it, this the show, this mega lightning show uh, basically led us to uh, the next step should have been and it was Scalar weaponry that was responsible <laughs> for this for this event, and they said it was unknown. they just it was unknown there was a there was a an infrasonic boom. And then there was a lightning strike, and then the shuttle group broke up. But people just don't talk about this
2: stuff. As we speak, there are a lot of booms being heard over the East Coast right now, Southeast, especially over Alabama. Just these Window-shattering events that are taking place. And nobody knows what the heck is going on. Right. Oh, well. Somebody's playing with toys that they shouldn't be. Right.
1: All right, well, let's get on to these photos a little bit further. Okay. Um, the, the, the first one there, um, we talked about that. Let's go down to that next one. And that one uh, is another one that uh, is pretty, uh, if you look at it closely, you see some pretty interesting things. This is the one that you took apparently July 17th. And uh, the caption underneath it says, an acceleration zone full of ripples. What do you mean by that, Scott?
0: What I'm thinking is that these ripples, two things can happen with the rippling we're seeing in this. They're trying to, they're using the snow shovel routine. Pushing they're just kind of accelerating the air, and that's, that's the push. The other thing is that they may be trying to lift it as well. And as you lift it, in, when you've already got a cloud formed or a portion of a cloud formed, you don't have to lift it a whole lot more before it's going to grow somewhat because the atmosphere above it should be, should be colder. So it's, it's, an, it's either an acceleration or a lifting routine. But in any case, that creates instability, which is, which is cloud cover. And you see that on the top of the tree. Um, but there's also a darkening area within the center of that. And uh, that's, that's probably a, a quantum issue.
1: Now, what about a little bit, okay, that dark area in the middle, if you look up and to the right of that, you see a whole bunch of, like, streamers. There's, there's like there's five or six just, like, they look like fingers almost, just coming directly straight out of that one area on the right.
0: And see that the technology's turned on, and you see the streamers, but then they, toward the, uh, the edge of the picture, they make a hard turn and then, and then bend downward. Right, right, just and like
1: we saw in that in the previous one, except it bent upward, yeah. Same
0: effect same effect. It's the origination point is that, that darker streak that runs up and down, and then it's the ice crystals that run out. And we're going to talk about plus and minus where the energy is taken from one area and deposited in another. The dark area in the middle of the picture is where it's drawn from, and then ahead of it, where we see the, the streaks originating from, it's put there, and then it's also put behind it, where the rippling turns into just more of a solid cloud cover. We're, we're wow. creating a current. We're
1: creating a that- Wow. I, I, hope, I hope everybody out there, uh, if you're listening, I hope you are uh, taking the time. I know it's late, and I know you're probably laying in, ba- laying in bed saying, no way, I'm going to go get on my computer. But, uh, but to, uh, to appreciate some of this stuff, you really got to go look at these. They're amazing, actually. And, and as Scott describes what we're actually seeing, and that is what, uh, uh, Scott, that's why I, I, I appreciate so much you being here because we need somebody with your <laughs> Uh, with your background and your uh, understanding of meteorology uh, to help us understand what we're seeing here. Because otherwise, like you say, it just goes, uh, no pun intended, it's just off our radar, you know? It's
0: true. Um, Follow the link, mid-level clouds, below that picture we just talked
1: about. Okay, all right.
0: And uh, what will open up is another picture. Again, these are fairly large pictures because... I see so much so much Oh stuff
1: man, okay, I got it. Yeah.
0: Just cut down.
1: Can't do you see that?
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and we have rippling zones where you can see a portion of this storm is just pushed. they're creating angular momentum. You're imparting energy into a storm. And uh these 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 rippling traps. Uh down below the next picture with the with the conifers, the trees.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I just look
1: at it. Huh. Look at that. Just a right angle right above it. Maybe a little bit bigger than a right angle, but 9,500 degrees there.
0: We have dark. I mean, the areas where the clouds have been punched out, the energy has been taken from Hey,
1: uh, you know, speaking of pine trees, there was a story uh, maybe a week ago, and it's actually happened a number of times over the last few years, but just huge sections of forest in Europe getting wiped out. I mean, straight-line winds that they say are who knows how... How fast, but literally flattening entire forests of uh, huge acreage of trees. That happened again in Eastern Europe last week. Did you see that story, Kent?
2: No, I, did. I didn't see
1: that. Well, anyway, it happened in France. Uh, it's been happening almost every year.
0: Uh, the Baltic States had that had that big one about four weeks ago.
1: That's the one I'm talking about, right? You know, and they right.
0: talked about it being a hurricane, but a hurricane doesn't happen at those latitudes and beginning over the blacks or the the North Sea—that just doesn't happen. It was—it was an impressive, without question, uh, altered event.
1: Right, and it's happened in Germany and it's happened in France. It's happened all in, in a number of European countries uh, over the last few years. I've—I've—I've I've, I've got a whole bunch of stories on it that I thought were just amazing because they say—and—and and they've never said hurricane before. They always say they're straight-line winds.
0: One of the agendas of the yakuza, of the owners or users of this technology, is called bleed. And disorganized, the dragon. Um, many, many cuts. Some are deep, and some are just paper cuts. Mm-hmm. But it'll be a death by a thousand severe thunderstorms, mm-hmm. a thousand tornadoes, a dozen hurricanes, and they're very expensive in this state where all of these Western economies are, uh, you know, are barely afloat. Right. You know, the insurance country companies are. Um, let's just say they're fiscally challenged right now because of mm-hmm. the that have happened. it wouldn't take a big quake in california before some of the reinsurance companies begin to have issues and then it's, it's called bleed and disorganized right. Dragon. So okay. I anticipate more of these events.
1: All right. So with with that in mind, if we're if we really if we really are talking about, and we'll get back to the photos here in a second um, because there uh, there's some really cool ones. here. I'm looking at another one right now actually, and these right angles are amazing. Once you're able to pick them out, you can see them everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so if if we really are in a war in a weather war, and we're being uh, attacked with these weapons, and we're uh, uh, presu- presumably using them as well, Are we? does that mean that we're, we're trying to anticipate our opponent and trying to cancel out? Is, is this sort of thing going on? In other words, if...
0: I, I think it would be foolish to assume that it weren't.
1: In other words, we have to be trying to protect ourselves somehow. Otherwise, you'd think that these things would be happening. We would have the San Andreas would bust loose. and.
0: Uh, Come on, we start wars. We start wars. This country has started wars now. So right. we know that right. if one is being waged against us, we're doing what we can to counteract. Certainly. So, th- yeah, there, there's a battle going on. And, and sometimes,
1: uh, may, and maybe, maybe that's the way we should look at it. When we see a hurricane that slams, you know, four in a row that go right into the same place, maybe that's, maybe that's where we go, oh, wow, you know, that was a, a battle we lost. That was a breach in our security or something.
0: That was something
2: outside of our technical ability.
1: Right. We weren't able to stop it.
0: Yeah.
2: Exactly. Really, uh, I want to mention something, too, because the, the term earthquake came up, and I'm looking at a report here it took place in Japan at the Univers- Takaya University in Japan, and it's called Space Temporal Variations of Seismicity Under Impacts of Powerful Electromagnetic Pulses. Wow. And uh, it was an an international conference with uh, uh, some of the main people who were Russian, American, and uh, Japan. And, uh, I mean, they published this report for all to see on the Internet.
1: Read the title of that again, Kent. Uh,
2: MHD-induced seismicity MHD is some kind of contraption here that I don't understand but it looks like the freaking ark of the government <laughs> it's like a box with a rod through it you know they've got a diagram but it's called uh, space temporal variation of seismicity under impacts of powerful electromagnetic pulses with the footnotes the use of a- MHD in weapons is endless with an effective MHD defense system in place, it is possible to use magnets harnessing only the power of air to create huge electric forces using 8-10 Tesla coils for defense would be made possible. Of course, the field of high temperature superconductivity would have to be conquered. But anyway, what they're doing is they're they're pounding on either side of a fault, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, allegedly to reduce the, you know, the tension within the fault line, right, they're right. doing that out in the open for everybody. That, that, to that's,
0: just, that's something that we all know and have been told that the scalar weaponry we can do, in in the endothermic mode, in- energy is just dumped in slowly or quickly into faults or into volcano calderas, and there's no question in wow. my mind that that isn't what happened at St. Helens beginning September 23rd. Is that event? That entire event was artificially stimulated because you had the geologists literally standing there, scratching their heads, saying, "We have never seen this before. Hmm. We've never seen it before." Our, but, some, but
1: somehow, somehow, somebody must either either that was just a signal to say, "Hey, look what we can do," and we're not going to do it fully, or something uh, a, it stopped shot it across the bow. from right, right. That's yeah. what you think it was. You don't think it was that we all of a sudden said, "Oh, okay, let's" and canceled it out or something. Oh
0: no no no! no. It it was a shot across the bow. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, to saying we can do this. Do you want us to keep going? Huh? And, uh, and uh, oh, oh man, there, there's probably a whole game of espionage, well, you got to honor and our intelligence that. and and stuff that goes on that is, I mean, far above, far above. What will ever make the nightly
1: news right? Hey Kent, you know I just want to add one more thing about the uh, that Japanese paper that you just mentioned. The fact that they said temporal variations that leads us right back to the quantum ideas that we were talking about before. So, so, that, so no doubt they are right out in the open about it.
2: Well, I've got the whole thing in the, on my main page. You can all go. Uh, uh, there's a link called Tectonic Weapons. You can read the paper. It was published freely for everybody. In other words, it's not secret. Right, 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 right. There was, um, on, on the Today Show, uh, at one of our
0: secretaries at work, and the new secretary, Scott, I wanted to call you in the morning, but it was early, and you probably weren't up, and since I worked late, I wasn't up, so it wouldn't have done any good, but uh, Michael Crichton was on, and he interviewed yeah, about his yeah, new yeah, book, yeah. discussing using weather as a form of terrorism. Right, right. So there, I, I believe there's a concerted effort to begin, or at least to allow this information into the public domain.
1: Right. Yeah. No way, Crichton does it without a stamp.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And that's why I've been let to do this because I fully expected, fully mm. expected something to happen, and nothing happened. Right. Nothing
2: happened. Well, so how how
0: are your colleagues? Are are they listening to you? And the ones right? the ones that sit down and take the time and, and I show them. The evidence—they come away stunned, right. literally stunned—and honestly disgusted that they hadn't seen it sooner.
1: Because well, that's their so business, ob- right?
0: It's so obvious, and and one of the one of the big things um, when a magician plays a trick, does a trick in front of the audience. The one thing we'd all like to be able to do is go back and stop action or slow motion and see what he's doing with his hands. Right? Where did that Where did that banana go? Where did that rabbit come from? So what what we do with the satellite imagery, what we do with the clouds? just slow it down. You're looking at at animations, 3D, IR, whatever. They're horrible resolution on TV, absolutely horrible. And then we play them at 30 frames a second or 15 frames a second. It It goes by so fast that you lose nearly all of the scientific value of the data. Stop it, look at the highest resolution stuff you've got, and examine it. And then it's a whole different world of forecasting. And that's what is beginning to happen, is that people realize, well, we need to look at the one kilometer infrared or the one kilometer resolution, visible imagery, and there's all sorts of clues there, all sorts of clues there that just you don't see by just the cursor examination of the data or usually in forecasting you're looking at trends mm-hmm. and not what is happening right now. What, is, what, what, we, what do we anticipate will happen? And so we look at cloud tops and temperatures and is the storm digging or is the jet max on the backside of the storm or is on the front? You know, all, all that stuff, but it's honestly irrelevant. Right. Yeah. If, if the grid's turned on the storm's going to go where they want it to go not mm-hmm. where Mother Nature or where you think it's going and, then, and I've
2: seen the experts uh, I was watching the weather channel on some of these hurricanes no. come, mm-hmm. and I've seen them just uh, kind of blink and turn pale when that second hurricane hit <laughs> the, in the same exact spot mm-hmm. about the same time of night <laughs> mm-hmm. when those two mm-hmm. hurricanes came in when I, I mean they, they, I can't re- recall their names right now but mm-hmm. uh, Bonnie, maybe. They all hit the same place in the Florida coast. Florence and Gene. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the the
0: weather has been so unusual. So unusual. While they were having the the storms in Florida, I mean, four four hurricanes and a tropical storm, five events on that peninsula in one, what, seven, eight week period?
1: Right, that was crazy.
0: I mean, we're, we're beyond four and five standard deviations from normal on the west coast. You're dealing with three storms, three standard deviations greater from norm, the greater than normal for the time of year. It's so unusual that the events display intent. Hmm. They're just they're, they're, they're an evidence of somebody mucking with the weather. It's just the way it is, and we we have to live with. It.
1: All right, so here, it. here's here's another question. Um, we, we, we've seen the, the evidence in, in, in the photography. Is there also evidence in radar? Because we've seen some real strange radars over the last few years.
0: Oh, and that was probably the one thing that got me to Ken, your sight, Ken, was yeah. is the, the unusual radar sight uh, images. And some, some could be explained away. Sun spikes are common. And uh, I've... I've gotten on the phone with the guys at the weather service out here and said hey look at this you know what is this and they give them the frame and the time and they go back to the log book and like, I don't know I don't know
2: you hear that a lot when you start asking questions
0: <laughs>
3: I don't know and well
2: I get uh, what I get is a lot of people saying I know and this is what it is right, but we keep right. watching it and watching it right, watching. right. I'd,
1: I'd rather have a guy tell me he doesn't know <laughs> and make up something you know
3: <laughs> yeah
0: well it, it's something that's absolutely absurd you know, which is usually what we get, is an absurd excuse that just defies logic. Right. And I'm sorry, if you can't be open-minded and at least be intrigued by it, I have no business talking to you. Right, right. So you're, you're, you, you are of no good in furthering this cause or furthering the investigation. If you want right. to open I've your t- mind and at least look at it.
1: Right. I've kind of learned that, too. I don't waste a lot of my air anymore on people who aren't really, willing to listen. So well,
0: they're, not, they're, not, they're not ready to hear it. Right. And so you don't you don't waste the time. You yeah. don't answer the emails back, you know. And it's it's sad, but there are so few aware people, <laughs> far fewer than there needs to be mm-hmm. right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are, uh, but there are a few for sure. Because uh, you're out there, Kent's out there. Uh, I'm doing this. I have lots of people that uh, enjoy the stuff we talk about on this show. So we're uh, we're out there, maybe a little bit under the radar, but, uh, but certainly uh, and, and certainly growing in numbers. I must say, I think so.
0: So what's the next picture you want to talk about?
1: Well, let's see. Um, there is. Uh, let's see. I should probably count. Uh, okay, you know where the pine tree picture is? Yeah. The not the one directly under that. Well, why don't you tell us about that one, then?
0: Well, it, it was similar to the top picture. That says
1: a room. nighttime grid.
0: Yeah, that was uh, a full man. moon, a four-second exposure. I just pulled the camera out through in the wide-angle lens and set it on top of the snow-covered car. Ah, there's
1: the moon in the middle there. I see. Okay.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. The, mo- the moon is off to the side, illuminating oh. from the northeast.
1: Okay.
3: I, that
0: I don't know what that is in the middle, to be honest with you, Mike. I uh, don't know what that is. But it's an it's an odd, odd signature that showed up. Interesting. I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is. And I... Um, I would love to get into that control center that, t- that plays with this weather. I would be a kid in a candy shop. Look up. at this thing. Which one? The one below? or?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the one you're talking about right now. Oh, it, yeah. yeah.
0: It looks like a face, doesn't it?
1: It's wild.
0: Uh, it's odd. I mean, there are there are holes punched in clouds. I mean, if, uh, looking at, say, satellite imagery, holes everywhere. I mean, artificial holes just hmm. literally... Exacto knife out, and the sharp edges that they display. Um, it would be. I would love to be able to generate a network.
1: Wow, I, you okay. know, I got to ask you something, Scott. Go down to the next photo. Mm-hmm. I see two more of those sort of same objects in the middle of that one. You do. Do you see that right in the middle of that photo?
0: Uh huh. It's it's the it's the plus and minus. Those and two
1: little you... circles is that one? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm talking about, Kent?
0: Yeah, I do Anyway, wild
1: Well, anyway, the, the photo that I wanted to ask you about Was the following one The one after that one It looks like uh,
2: What's the label on the photo? This it
1: blue? says Apportion the grid at a joint or intersection point With another one in the far upper left cirrus clouds Connecting the two points It looks like a trumpet
0: <laughs> Or. A, it, it does, but you can see where
1: <sighs> I mean, look at the streamers that come out of it
0: mm-hmm. And it it's a, an area of disturbed weather. It Where
1: looks it, electrical in nature, almost.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then the cirrus stream or the uh, ice crystal streaming out from it um, after it's been turned on or electifi- electrified. You'll see that a lot now that you've seen it in the, in the pictures. You'll see it frequently. Incredible. It is. It is. It is. I'm going to say
1: uh, I had a go back to the main page. Okay, let's go back to the main page here.
0: And, uh, and then um, let's uh, go down to the next picture, which will be lower clouds. Uh, the tag is July 2, 2004. And you'll see a mountaintop, a ridge top just south of town. Here. Right. And two thunderheads bu- building up, but with a connecting arm or a bar connecting the middle of one to the bottom of the other. Right. That's the bottom half of a cube, <laughs> and it was a day. Remember, thunderstorms are turned on or turned off. They don't don't or rarely form naturally. In the
1: Hey uh, Scott, uh, do me a favor and get right on the phone there. I was, ha- had you, your level went down a little it's bit there, getting Just, a little dark, huh? Yeah, it's getting, and, and I and I I know it's uh, I know it's late or early as well, and we've been on the phone for a while. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay, so uh, yeah, I see I see exactly what you're talking about here.
0: And one of, one of the things that's absolutely necessary for clouds to form, it, it's a something called the lifted conden condensation level, the LCL. When clouds form. They do so by rising or taking their moisture, their heat, their vapor, into a cooler atmosphere, into a cooler environment. And at some point, the moisture in this parcel of air will condense out. And as that condenses, that's the lifted condensation level. What we find, or I'm finding, and others will soon, is that many, many clouds do not obey that law. They don't have the flat bases. Now, sometimes the bases won't be flat simply because it's a function of turbulence. You're in a very turbulent or a very stormy um, atmosphere, but this was a still summer day, and that law should have applied. Hmm. So we're just saying that this is a portion. The, uh, as the time clicks through the day, the solar energy heats the lower layers of the atmosphere. That value is then read back into this center, this weather control center, right, right. and once certain values are reached, Clouds are allowed to form in certain certain grids and 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 mature to a point unless they wanted rain to form. Let's follow the link into lower clouds. I title it cumulus clouds.
1: Lower clouds. clouds. Okay, there we go. And and you know I I really want to talk to you about the one that's uh, (laughs) below that one too. When we come back, that, that that satellite image.
2: Speaking of the weather, I got a cold, so if you hear a muffled cough, that's me in the background. <laughs> well, we see the first picture
0: on the cumulus cloud. You see the two clouds together, and uh, this was—I was just shot in the backyard. Had the had the Nikon out, and uh, saw saw the cloud form with just a few vertical or, or parallel lines, tendrils, and then they just grew. And the cloud lasted for no more than about five, six minutes. So I sat there with the camera, took a picture, wrote to the compact flash card, and take another picture, take another picture, take another picture. So I, I, I assembled about 30 pictures as this square cloud. And you can see its outline. Mm-hmm. How it's, it, it, how do you say How do you say it? It's just not natural.
1: Yeah, no, you can see the lines. There's, it's obvious in all of these. And that, it's, that's the one thing that jumps out is the right angles. I mean, look at that one. I mean, I'm just paging down here, yeah. but uh, oh, yeah. amazing. Well, hey, uh, you guys, hold on a second here. I have a special guest that just walked into my studio, so i got to say hi to him real fast. This is uh, my friend Pat, just walked in, does a show here on the station as well. Hi, Pat, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you doing? Pretty good. You listened to the show?
3: Yes, I did. I was on the way home from a great date tonight, and,
1: uh,
3: <laughs> and I uh, was uh, just... Uh, marveling how great this show is going you guys are talking um well unidentified flying objects i obviously uh we we can't figure out what it is but
1: uh well yeah we know
3: what it is we know what it is they're in it with the aliens
1: i tell you (laughs) anyway okay well uh that was
0: a good date wasn't it
1: yeah boy (laughs) anyway okay pat uh thanks for stopping in and uh We'll get back to these guys here. All right. Uh, Pat does a show, by the way, everybody listening, uh, from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock on Friday evenings. It's called Pat's Power Pop Hours, and he plays some great, uh, some great rock and roll music uh, during, the, during that two-hour period. So thanks for stopping in, Pat. All right. Uh, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having a little, uh, little break there. Anyway, yeah, these, uh, the, the images, uh, once you start, uh, Scott, like you say, once you sort of point it out, then they start to jump out at you all over the place.
0: I mean, the, the, the physics that runs this is, like we said, it's global. Right. And, uh, you'll see cut clouds or broken clouds that should be continuous. Right. And for, for, for some apparent and known to us, but unknown, if you ask the, quote, unquote, authorities, um, then it's just because they have the authority, not
2: because they know. <laughs> hey, Scott, um, Scott yeah. you'd speak of... Uh, um, clouds being punched and etc.
1: Right, um, holes in clouds. And one, time, uh,
2: one day I went out and looked straight up and I, in fact I photographed it and uh, there was like a, a hole <laughs> and it's, there was a, like a cirrus cloud cover and a, and a coleus shaped uh, leaf-like looking hole right in the middle of this darn thing with a spine. It looked like a spine running down the center of this vortex and it had streamers uh, octopus-like streamers running out of it. The odd thing about it is the cirrus clouds, uh, or whatever clouds they were, whatever strata they were at. They were passing by this thing. They were blowing as though this this was moving from west to east, but not at the same rate of the, as the uh, cloud cover. But it was really strange. I got to call it the Seattle vortex. I remember.
1: It? Yeah, I remember when you had that up on the
0: site. Oh. Yeah time-lapse is, uh, is something I need to get into, and it's going to take an investment of some gear to be able to, to put together the kind of, basically, broadcast quality stuff that I want to be able to, to get. But the, Remember, we're dealing with cubes rolling, mm-hmm. so, and, and with the Sirius cloud that you're talking about, um, sometimes they're excited by a grid working westbound, where the wind is moving from, from the south or southwest, uh, and you'll get these layers of clouds, how how do you say it and be politically correct, um, they're just not going in the right direction. Hmm. And when you're exciting a cloud going against the wind, you're going to get unusual turbulence. You're going to get unusual spines and feathers uh, coming off of these, these electrified grids and all sorts of bizarreness that, uh, hey, the more pictures we have, the more right. pictures we get out and share with other people, I mean, the better better off we're going to be. I mean, or at least the more people will have watching the skies. The last picture on that page that we're on, uh, which was cumulus clouds, I've right. got X'd out some holes in the bottom mm-hmm. of, of these clouds.
1: This right, was, right, I'm looking at it right now.
0: This was heading up the Yellowstone on, a, on right. an afternoon. And you can see that the holes, they're same diameter, so the same same level off the ground, um, the lifted condensation level of the clouds is intact. So you can see they've got the flat base. Right. But there's this right where the updraft be. Strange. Being, uh, actually, it would be the dra- downdraft where the rain would form at the front of the storm. The updraft would be towards the back. That's been disturbed or literally just evacuated out or voided out of the cloud. Wow. And That's that inhibits the, the formation of rainfall and inhibits how vertical, how tall these clouds can grow.
1: there's something else, yeah. And that's
0: that the function of the 500-year drought we're in out here, huh. is that this, this has been ongoing for summer after summer after summer. But if we go back to the front page, that was the last picture.
1: Actually, uh, let's do that, but let's take a break first. And uh, it is about uh, 4.40 or so a.m. Uh, on Sunday, December 12th. And uh, I'll be back with you guys in just a second, okay? And we'll finish things up. We'll have about 15 minutes. Uh, actually, we'll have about 10 minutes after this break to finish things up. So um, uh, maybe think about some closing comments, how we want to finish things up and what we want to tell people about what we should be doing and what and uh, you know, what we can do to, uh, I don't know, to, uh, t- to keep pushing this information. Scott, obviously, uh, you're a... Uh, a meteorologist and a and a television weatherman a personality on the TV out there and you're doing it and talking about it openly now and people haven't thrown you out of town yet so uh, <laughs> uh so obviously things are 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 at least starting to uh, to come around
0: it's it's time It's time for people
1: to... Yep, it is. It's time. Uh, So we'll be back in just a moment. My guests are uh, Scott Stevens. He's a meteorologist uh, from uh, eastern Idaho and a television weatherman out there for the... uh, I don't know. I better not say the network that he works for. Um, uh, And I'm also uh, on the line with Kent Stedman. Kent is a regular guest on the program and uh, one of my favorite people. And the guy that runs cyberspaceorbit.com. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute. This is... uh, As again, uh, usual, I don't know who I'm playing. This is Blue Rodeo. This song is called Side of the Road. Enjoy it.
3: Up into the blue white sky. Started singing this song in my head just because the sun.
1: cd nowhere to hear that song is called side of the road this is mike hagan you're listening to radio orbit i'm kopn 89.5 fm and uh, my guests are scott stevens a meteorologist and weatherman out in the pacific northwest out there in eastern idaho and uh, ken steadman from cyberspaceorbit.com we're uh, checking out some imagery on the website here at weatherwars.info and uh also some stuff over at cyberspaceorbit.com and talking to these guys and uh... gonna finish things up here we got about uh... uh... eight or nine minutes left and uh... gonna kind of leave it to you guys can't say whatever you'd like scott why don't you guys chat a little bit and i'm just gonna kind of sit back and uh... We'll see how we want to finish this conversation and what we might be doing and uh... we've kind of determined uh... that certainly these things are happening we've got crazy things happening up in the sky and uh... we got crazy things happening everywhere um, and uh... question is what do we do about it and uh... Uh, where do we go from here so
2: well I'll go okay I could listen I'm gonna speak from the from the gut here a little bit and you know and it probably isn't scientific and so on but I I would like to say to people don't give up you know we are I was talking to Charlie the other day this friend of mine that understands electromagnetic propagation and all that and he's And he says, you know, we're scalar, too. We have this sort of Logos perception mind crammed into a hamburger body. (laughs) And we are by nature ourselves a a scalar entity, you know. And Mike and I... We've met with people from a very ancient tradition that, that that have the ability in my opinion and this is personal opinion they can talk to the weather too. I agree with you. And they can communicate with the weather and this goes way back, you know. And when we see when we talk about our whole planet being digitized, then that kinda of, kinda of pisses me off, excuse the expression.
3: Right. And right. I
2: would say, you know, people find the find the resource inside of yourself to First of all, understand it and uh, acknowledge it, and, and see it happening, and then find the reason. I mean, our technology is nothing more than the 21st century version of mind drip, you know. And uh, I feel very strongly, impassionedly, and within myself, that there is a antidote for that, for it all, and it's found within an understanding. It's within ourselves and an understanding I've seen with people that are that are close to nature, like Mike and I have have hung out around the Lakota people and so on. And I I think there's a there's a a, a technology of the of the intuition and spirit that that we need to summon up and be our resource at least in in our ability to understand all this and then we'll go from there.
1: (laughs) I agree. I agree. I agree. And there's nothing to be afraid of. I agree, Kent. Nothing to be scared of. Don't give up because uh, this is just one of many things that are going on and what's required is awareness of all of it. So, uh, Scott, uh, let you have the... Have the last word here. I will give you about five minutes or so to wrap things up. And uh, first of all, I want to thank both you guys for uh, spending all this time with me. I know it's not easy in the middle of the night like this, but um, I really appreciate it. And uh, so do my listeners. And we're going to put this thing up on the web and make sure that uh, as many ears uh, get uh, get on it as we can uh, as we can make happen. And we're just going to keep doing it. And we'll and we'll continue to do this in the future. We'll we'll do uh, we'll do more shows if uh, if you guys are willing. So.
0: None of, none of us would be here on earth if we didn't choose to come here. You know, I, I, I've always believed that we are eternal beings. We've lived in an eternity and we'll live in an eternity. And we're here at school. We're here provided, or we're here in a place where certain circumstances are, you know, what we're born into. We don't necessarily believe we choose who our parents are and where we are, but we've come to this planet at this time because it needs us and because we need it to grow ourselves further and uh, it's decisions we make about whether we're here to help humanity or whether we're here to complain we're going to help ourselves, we're going to pick up ourselves and take back our personal responsibility take it back from those who we have voted it to or given it to on Sundays and. and let's just say we've got to take this planet back we've got to take our destinies back and if, if you don't somebody else will make those decisions for you somebody else will take you down the road that you may not want to go and you may not know you're going down that road until you see where you until you see where you're going more clearly All
1: right until you find and, out where you are <laughs> and,
0: and that awareness has got to come there is not a day where you cannot be vigilant about what you say, what you think, what you wish upon others, because there's this law in the universe called the law of attraction. That which you desire desires you. And we have got in this country, and indeed in this world, uh, of what we call, what I like to call, is a victim consciousness. And that is, how do you say it? That'll be our downfall. Woe is me. You know, bad stuff happens to me. Well, it happens to you because you let it happen to you, and we have to change our mindset. We have to empower ourselves as individuals before the bad stuff will quit happening to us. Because right now, it all we all let it happen. We don't get out. We don't protest. We don't inform others, or we don't even make ourselves aware of what's happening in the world around us. All right, all right. And it's this cocoon. That we've got to get ourselves out of many of us that are either listening or aware of these things know what we've got to do but there is a great great majority of humanity that is not aware and there has got to be a quotient a quorum of humanity that is breached or reached so we can begin to take this planet in a different direction it's ours it's our planet we were born to it it is our right and it has to be taken back from those who want control of it. Okay. And that's what a lot of the Soho stuff is that, that Ken keeps, keeps up on the page. It's evidence of multiple civilizations warring over this solar system, warring over this planet, and we're ignorant of it happening. And that has to change. I mean, we're, we're almost locked out of getting to space with the shovel ground. We can't get there. At this day and age, 50 years, 40 years into the space race, we can't put men in space. And we've let it happen.
1: Well, not officially, at least.
0: Well, yeah. not officially. I mean, granted, they're, they're, yeah. And that's, that comes back to leadership for me, that we have had an absence of honest and honorable leadership uh, for this country, for our individual states, and for the world in general. And we have to demand more from our leaders. It's an absolute must. We, just, we, we cannot go down this road anymore. All right. We have to make some
1: changes. All right. Well, I think we all agree that uh, some changes are going to have to be made. And, in fact, changes are coming one way or another. It's going to be a determination of what those changes are, I think. And uh, we are a part of that determining uh, factor. And, you know, I want uh, I to uh, I I finish things up with one thing I thought of mine as you guys were talking, is that, you know, the technology, whether people uh, understand it or not, um, is getting to the point where it is uh, uh, absolutely remarkable and capable of well almost anything. The computer, the processing speeds that are attainable now um, are something else, and uh, I think that I think that we're we're approaching a time when anything may be possible, literally, and. The question comes up, like Scott says, is man good or bad? Are we good or bad? We're going to find out because when, when you can do anything, when anything is possible, what do you do? What do you do? And uh, that's the question that we're going to face and that we're facing right now. So, all right, you guys, thanks again one more time. Uh, www.weatherwars.info, www.cyberspaceorbit.com, and www.radioorbit.com. This is Mike Hagan. You've been listening to Radio Orbit for the last three hours. Thanks for being with me. Thanks again to my guests, Scott Stevens, meteorologist, and uh, Kent Stedman, genius, close friend. Thanks again, guys. And uh, we'll... Do this once again. We're going to finish things off with Tragically Hip. The song is called Wheat Kings. Take, uh, stick around for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum coming up in just a few minutes.